Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Earbuds, Melbourne's podcast network. Earbudsnetwork.com. Welcome to Hunting Seasons, a podcast about two friends catching up on notable television shows one season at a time. I'm Broderick Gordis. I'm Damas Leary. And today we'll be discussing season one, part one of Star Trek Discovery. Ooh. Ooh. That's Doctor Who. Yeah, That's the wrong really theme wrong. song. That's all right. How are, <laughs> it's still space. Space and time and stuff. How are you? Damas Leary. Sweating my balls off, I'll tell you that much. Yeah. Uh, just a little um, a top of the show, just a little note. If it is a bit echoey, it's because we're recording in my lounge room rather than our normal st- attic studio because <laughs> it is balls hot up it's there so today. Hot. Yeah. November was sort of not doing much for us for a while, a bit disappointing start into spring. And then all of a sudden it's decided to just go, oh, yeah, 35 degrees today. Why not? Yep. Yep. So, so it's great. My body's really appreciating it. I've had f- about five colds. Five like colds. Just one oh, after another. Up and down the temperature and, and stuff down, like that. Yeah. I just haven't been sleeping. Mm. Like I literally mean, just been help. sitting on the couch until 3am <laughs> playing Mario Odyssey because fuck, I can't sleep. So why not? <laughs> Mario Odyssey, by the way, great game. Everyone should play it. Get a Switch. Get a Switch for I played a little bit of it the other night. I had a friend come over and we, he brought his Switch. Oh, really? Played very, very briefly. But yeah. That's great. And then we played his little Super Nintendo thingy. <gasps> yes. That was really Mini. fun. That was really fun. Oh, we'll get to that one day. Yeah. Okay. One day. Um, before we start today, we just do want to have a little quick discussion about um, some current news events, things that have been happening. Mm. Um, unless you've been living under a rock, um, you're probably aware of a lot of the sex scandal stuff that's going on in Hollywood at the moment. It started with Harvey Weinstein, has since spread to people like Kevin Spacey, um, which is actually pretty important in the context of this show today. Um, the man who has accused Kevin Spacey of inappropriately touching him when he was 14 years old, Anthony I Rapp. believe is Anthony Rapp, yeah. who plays um, uh, Paul Stamets, um, the science officer in Star Trek Discovery. Um, so that was pretty interesting news. And then lately, the one that's come out as well, although apparently his accusations have been around for a long time, mm. um, has been Louis C.K., Yes, which... If you've been listening to the podcast for this season, you would know that we did five episodes on Louis <laughs> this season. Um, yeah. And so, I just want to address that for a second. Um, obviously, well, A, Louis has actually come out and admitted to doing all the things that he's been accused of. Mm-hmm. He's owned that. Um, whether or not fucking you, time. Yeah. Whether or not <laughs> you thought his apology was particularly good mm. or uh, is another question. Um I don't. I don't think I'm, I'm not going to have a formal statement on any of this on those sorts of things. But I do want to say that he, what his actions are absolutely reprehensible. Of course. And suddenly, all the things we talked about about Louis being a bit of a creep mm. sometimes in the show, kind of uh, interesting. Yep. Yeah. It becomes. 
I to try and understand the mind of someone who can make comedy out and critique creepiness, creepy behavior. Sure, yeah. And then, um, so he's obviously aware of his creepiness, mm-hmm. his misconduct, um, and then to like so publicly kind of dissect that, while at the same time denying these women, mm. you know, um, the apology for years, or you know. Any kind of acknowledgement that they that they're not liars, and how that affects um, them in so many different yeah, ways uh, on really a personal level, on a career up. level. Um, yeah. It his position of power because all these women, you know, obviously Louis is quite influential on television and comedy these days. And just been a you know a really respected comedian for years, well before he was the Louis that like you and I know mm. that we have seen and has created work that we have appreciated. Mm-hmm. And before then, like he was just kind of lauded as this great comedian. Mm-hmm. A comedian's um, among, comedian. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, how does this make you feel about things like ever getting to, is it Better Things, Pamela Adlon's TV yeah. show? Knowing that he's an executive producer, an mm. active executive producer on it, I think. Yeah, the debate of whether do you then um, watch um, or consume media or art created by people who mm. have committed these types of things. I think it's a really complex issue and I'm Very. not sure. Um, there are lots of other people who are probably doing better work dissecting this on the internet discussing yes. it than us, especially sort of spur of the moment. We just want to bring it up and acknowledge it. That Louis comes up a lot. He came mm. up he came up in our Master of None conversations mm-hmm. um, as well. So, he, there's no doubt that that show, which we've discussed, has been influential on television. Yeah. Um, Joanna Robinson, who I bring up a lot as well as a podcaster, who seems to be my true north when it comes to um, <laughs> a lot of things related to TV she and pop be culture. everyone's true north, yeah. I think. Yeah. She had an interesting point about um, obviously finding Louis completely reprehensible and even, you know, whether you want to separate the arts and the artists is one thing, but can still be thankful for the influence that Louis, the television show, had on TV. So appreciative of things like the fact that we got Master of None and stuff out of it. Mm. And that's not to say that that makes... Louis any better or anything like that, but to still acknowledge that you can it doesn't you can't don't then start denying or start saying the show was bad, right? Yeah. Or that the art was necessarily bad or that it hasn't had a positive effect in some ways. Master of None is a great example of a show that built off Louis and even went better with it. Same with Atlanta as well. Yeah, exactly. It's Atlanta is offshoots a, a, of and know. theoretically better things from what I hear as well. Even if he is involved creatively at some level with that, I think a lot of people are finding that show particularly great. Mm. Um, but that doesn't mean you. <laughs> it doesn't mean you're um, siding with Louis as an artist or a person. No, absolutely not. I just I think. Um, every viewer needs to be informed and make their own decision about how they would like to handle um, the current climate, I think. Um, But, yeah, because I've always, you know, Woody Allen has been, you know, controversial slash a total fuckhead for Mm -hmm. Dirtbag for a very long time and yet, you know, I've watched his movies and I like and I feel guilty about it. It's like when I eat meat sometimes, I'm just like, I know that's wrong, but I just want to eat meat. And, like, it's inexcusable and it's lazy. So, I, I don't really know what the right answer is. But I'm going to continue to, like, you know, try to 
read as much as I can, try to get a whole bunch of different perspectives so I can make my own informed decision. Meanwhile, Mel Gibson uh, is releasing a film, a comedy, <laughs> with Will Farrell and Mark Wahlberg uh, this uh, summer here, winter in That's right. Northern it's okay Hemisphere. to be anti-Semitic or, you know, and to have killed beater. someone. Yeah, it's yeah, fine. It's fine. It's cool. Just give it a few years. Just lay low for a while. Yeah, you'll be right. Make one movie with... Uh, the, it's called The Beaver with Jodie Foster. Jody Foster directing and like everyone will just forgive you it'll be fine mm, yeah. that's the lesson to be learned here everybody <laughs> it doesn't matter ultimately yeah well I'm hoping that it's you know things are changing with do we re- what's happening in the moment do we then can we say that to Mel Gibson can we look at them and go no fuck off don't try and come back in here I told you to piss off leave I don't think it's going to work retroactively but it, you know give it a year or two and he'll do something else you know you don't just give him time. Yeah, it'll of happen. He continues to do terrible things. We can't minority report this, precog this, and uh, <laughs> pre-crime it, and just say let's just cut this off. Now. I mean, we should. I think, like you know, history is a great predictor, so we should be like, oh, you're te- you are terrible, so let's cut the cord. But I doubt Hollywood. Let's watch do minority that. report and talk about the morality of that because that's pretty fucked up. Okay, great. anyway, anyway, it doesn't matter. <laughs> uh, let's move on and start talking about different sci-fi. Uh, spoiler warning: on this episode, we will be discussing everything that happens in the first nine episodes of season one of Star Trek Discovery. Before listening, we recommend watching all of Discovery up to this point. If you've not yet done so, proceed with caution. There are spoilers ahead. You have been warned. Some facts and figures. Star Trek, Star Trek Discovery is a CBS or Netflix, if you live in Australia, apparently, original sci-fi drama and the sixth live-action series in the Gene Roddenberry Star Trek universe, the first in 12 years. Developed by Brian Fuller, creator of the infamous Dead Like Me. <laughs> Go back and listen to those episodes, uh, uh, listeners. Uh, Pushing Daisies and showrunner for American Gods. And also uh, developed by Alex Kurtzman, writer of the great 2009 Star Trek reboot film, the less great Star Trek Into Darkness, the good 2007 Transformers film, and the horrendous Transformers Revenge of the Fallen, (laughs) the amazing Spider-Man 2, and the Tom Cruise The Mummy reboot. The first two episodes arrived on CBS All Access on September 24th, 2017, and stars Sonequa Martin-Green, Doug Jones, Shazad Latif, excuse me if I pronounce that incorrectly, Anthony Rapp, Mary Wiseman, Jason Isaacs, and Michelle Yeoh as Captain Philippa Giorgio. Season 1, Part 1, consists of nine episodes, each coming in at around 45 minutes, and took us approximately six hours and 45 minutes to watch. Part 2 of Season 1 will have six episodes and is scheduled to return on January 7, 2018. Damask. Sorry, just to dive in there. Do we know why it's Part 1 and Part 2? Um, no, uh, it's become fashionable to have these mid-season, um... It's weird to have nine and then six, though. Nine and six is a really odd number. It seems unplanned to me that they're just like, let's cut it here. It's worth discussing, I think, maybe even before we get into the story synopsis then, that this did have a little bit of a tumultuous, Mm. um, development cycle. So, Brian Fuller was attached to this early on when they, when CBS announced they were going to do it. Um, he... Obviously, a very famous um, TV showrunner has made a lot of stuff. Some good, some not so good. Don't like me. Um, <laughs> he, some people, but people were very excited because he'd also worked on previous Star Trek shows. I think he was a writer on The Next Generation and maybe okay. either Deep Space Nine or Voyager or something like that. So he has some Star Trek clout and theoretically knows what mm-hmm. he's doing there. He was attached. It was in development for a while. There wasn't a lot coming out about it. There was rumors of development issues. And then all of a sudden he left and he had American Gods to go and do. Mm. So he went and did that instead and sort of stepped away from the project. 
um, and other people came in to take over. And then suddenly things started happening, but there was this also persistent rumors that things were changing quite dramatically. Some people had been recast. There was just a little bit of an unknown quantity about the show. So it was a bit tumultuous. And so one of the things that we did know early on is that unlike a normal Star Trek season, inverted commas normal, this was going to be almost, I think the rumors were, and this might have changed a little bit, and I feel like you can see it changing in the show, is more of an anthology thing where each season could be very different from the last. So you may not be following the same characters or you may, or it may take big time jumps and stuff like that. And in this case, We've sort of got this very focused, as you'll see when we talk about the synopsis, this like Klingon war thing. So, Mm. this is set 10 years before the original Star Trek series. Yeah. Approximately 10 years, I think. And is talking about this conflict between Star... Is it only 10? I think so, yeah. Because Spock is alive and he is... Oh, yeah, that's right. He's born and stuff. And it's like, um, yeah, it's... Yeah, it's all about this sort of conflict between Starfleet and Klingons, Mm -hmm. um, which by the time we get to the sort of the mainline Star Trek stuff that's existed, they're actually sort of at peace or communicating quite well. Um, And so the impression that I got from reading all about this is that this changed a lot in pre-production, even during production. It was sort of all over the place. And it was just details were coming out very loosely. CBS was even doing a weird thing where they weren't releasing the show on CBS proper. They were only doing it on all access. Online? So is it's that an right? on, yeah, they started their own online streaming service for their stuff. Who and, wants a CBS streaming service? Well, they banked on Star Trek <laughs> fans being massive nerds, right. you know, fans, nerds, yes. And want will pay to see Star Trek no matter where it is. Um, so they've sort of like held the show hostage online. We're lucky in the sense that living in Australia, they just chucked it on Netflix. Yeah. Right. So we we I mean we already have Netflix. Mm. I don't have to pay for another streaming service. But if you're in the States, you do. Um, wow, that's really interesting. So the whole that's thing's weird. a little bit all over the place. Um, and why, so why it's got 15 episodes, there could be a number of reasons. Maybe that's all they could get out of CB, bargain out of CBS. Maybe that was part of the initial plan with Fuller mm. because it was meant to be particularly focused in a certain way. Maybe production problems meant they had to reduce the episode number. 15 is odd. But... Like you look at what was it? Um, I just American think nine Gods. And six is really odd. Nine and nine and six is very yeah. strange. But if you think of it this way, there's the two episode sort of prologue. Mm. Then it's seven and six. If you think about the time yeah, she gets on Discovery, true. and then where we end here, so it's actually kind of like there's this like prequel movie. Then we have seven episodes, and now we've got another six. They should coming. have done a Battlestar Galactica and had like the long but movie. They, and well, then... they sort of did though because they released both those episodes simultaneously oh, yeah, right, on okay. day one. So that that there was they did that with Battlestar. It wasn't a movie in the cinema. They mm. released it first. Is like this feature length film, and essentially that's what they've done here. Right. And there is a lot of it's interesting listening and reading stuff about this. A lot of people feel like there's a lot, some very Battlestar stuff going on here. Yeah. There's even some homages and stuff going on. Yeah, I think even if you release, you know, those first two episodes as a like mini movie event, that puts people in a different mind frame than you know, yeah. these are the first two episodes of what the season is going to be. Yeah. Yeah, which did, I think is jarring for people. Did you um just quickly before you get the synopsis, did you watch any of these after Trek stuff on Netflix as no. in the little after show? No. So when I was sort of compiling my notes, I had that I, on the I background. I think it would be like really self-congratulatory and I was Massively, yeah, yeah. It's 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 dumb and like surfacey and like <laughs> it's just a bunch of mm. masturbation basically. But but you do get little insights into the actors 
thoughts on the characters, the writers' thoughts on what's going on, what they're sort of going for. Mm. Um, I found that helpful actually, just to give some context into what the show was trying to achieve right. in its when you place it in the rest of the Star I'd be Trek interested universe. In maybe going back and watching that because I don't know what they were trying to achieve. Cool. <laughs> and on that note, do you have a story synopsis for us, Damas? I sure do. Go for I it. Absolutely do. All right, so just a reminder, if you just watched it or you don't care, whatever, you Ignore can skip Ignore her. Ahead. Listen, it's great. But feel free to listen because no. it's. I'll, listen. I'll take you on a journey. All right, here we go. <laughs> Star Trek Discovery Season 1 Rundown. First officer Michael Burnham is a Vulcan-raised human. She's aboard the USS Shenzo with Captain Giorgio when they discover a mysterious object. She goes to investigate, but whoopsie, she kills a dude who is in fact a Klingon. This makes the Klingons, led by Takuvma, pretty peeved. There's a standoff between the two ships. Captain Giorgio thinks diplomacy is best, while Michael listens to her adoptive father's advice and thinks force must be used to garner respect. When the captain and the science officer Saru agree, Michael decides to act like a crazy person. She gives the old pinchy claw to the captain's neck and then tries to get the USS Shenzo to fire. But the captain wakes up from her non-consensual nap and sends Michael to the brig. More Klingon vessels arrive because they're having some sort of reunion. Tukufma says he's going to make the Klingons super strong and awesome and that everyone should follow him. Lots of the other Klingon houses aren't really buying what he's selling because his ship is full of rejects and outcasts. It's pretty much the Klingon version of the Mighty Ducks. Another Starfleet ship arrives to help out, but then that gets the shit rammed out of it by a cloaked Klingon vessel. A bunch of nameless people die. Very sad. And the Shenzo takes a bunch of damage too. Michael manages to escape from a cell and this time she's able to convince her captain that they should head on over to the Klingon ship and kidnap Takuvma. So they beam on over and poor old Captain Giorgio is killed. We hardly knew you, Captain. R.I.P. Such a shame. Michael manages to escape, but not before she kills the Klingon leader. It's a bit of a shit show, really, and because of it, Michael is sentenced to life in prison. But that doesn't last long because while she's on a transporter ship, it gets attacked by some sort of bug and the Discovery rescues her. She's beamed on board and because of her many skills, Captain Lorca hires her to help work on the spore drive alongside the grumpy Lieutenant Stamets. Before they can all get to know one another, there's another ship in distress. It's been ravaged by a big bad beast. The crew manage to escape from it, but the captain beams the beast, soon named Ripper, onto the ship. He has a personal collection of weapons, and he considers Ripper one of them. He orders Michael to find out more about the creature, alongside his security officer. The security officer is all like, I don't care about this stupid creature, I'm clearly a one-dimensional jerk. And Michael's all like, no, we must learn everything we can about the creature, and live harmoniously. And guess what happens? Yep, the jerk lady gets killed because she is a jerk, with no respect for the creature. Lesson learned. But don't fret because Michael figures out that Ripper really likes mushrooms and the spores from mushrooms and that means it can teleport or something. Look, I don't understand how this thing works, but the point is that this creature can be used to get the spore drive working. So that's what they do, okay? So let's just leave it at that. So with the help of the spore drive, the Discovery turns into a badass warship that's helping win the fight. Captain Lorca is sent to talk to a bunch of higher-ups so that they can praise him and also ask for more details about the spore drive so they can put a bunch of upgrades into their old crappy ships. And on his way back from this very interesting meeting, his transporter is intercepted and he's taken captive by the Klingons! Oh no! 
Back on the Discovery, First Officer Saru is informed of the captain's predicament and takes command. He's determined to find his captain and he'll jump all over the joint to do it. But Michael is a little worried that Ripper screams out in pain every time they stick needle in its guts. But Saru is willing to sacrifice the life of a very rare and important creature to save the life of one Starfleet captain. Alright, sure. Uh, Luca is being held in a cell with a few other dudes. One of them is a Starfleet soldier who has been there for a long time. And the other is a campy fellow named Mud, who apparently is from the original series, but I don't know that. All I know is that he feels like he's from Farscape or some other sci-fi show that is definitely not this one. Anyway, they squabble and bicker in between bouts of being tortured. Eventually, Lorca escapes alongside the officer he met, Tyler, who he then makes his security officer. Oh yeah, and they leave Mud behind because he is a jerk too, when being a jerk is bad. Uh, because Ripper is getting progressively more upset about being, you know, enslaved, Science Officer Stamets decides to stick the needles in himself after injecting himself with an artificial thingy that replicates what Ripper has. Once again, I clearly don't know. Uh, and Michael frees Willy. It's beautiful, except it isn't because it's so fucking basic. Anyway, Michael starts getting flashes of her adoptive father all of a sudden. He's in bad shape after a Vulcan extremist blows up his ship. Michael convinces the captain to let her go and rescue him. She takes along the new dude and her BFF Tilly. She tries to use her telepathic magic to find Daddy, but he keeps blocking her out. The reason? Because he didn't let her enter into the Vulcan Academy of Self-Worth and Achievement. Because it would mean his son couldn't go there. Guess who his son is? Guess. No, guess who he is? Guess. It's Spock! Isn't that cool? Um, Anyway, he's super bummed about making that decision, so they work through that and she saves him. It's moving stuff. Uh, After that, we have a return of Mud. He's still pretty PO'd about being left behind by the captain. He's got a time turner this time and keeps using it to try and take over the ship and sell it to the Klingons. Except Stamets now has the power to see through time and space thanks to his new role as spore drive engine. So he gets the help of Michael to foil Mud's plan. Mud kills everyone on board, time and time again, and yet when the crew finally are able to stop him, his punishment is to live with his beautiful young wife. Oh, you taught him a lesson? Good job. The Federation is having a hard time fighting off the Klingons because they're using cloaking devices to fuck their shit up. Michael, Tyler and Saru are sent to the planet Parvo to use some beacon technology which will help them sense a cloaked ship. While down on the planet, Saru feels peace for the first time, thanks to the sentient spirit of the planet, and so he becomes determined to stay there forever, and he actively sabotages the mission. Parvo, being a planet inhabited by peace-obsessed beings, thinks it's a super-duper cool idea to invite the Klingons so that they can have a chat with the Federation. This, of course, is super dumb of them, and so the Discovery has to decide to stay and defend the defenseless, or follow orders and remove themselves from the fight. They decide to have their cake and eat it too. They have three hours while they travel back to a Starfleet base to figure out a way to detect Klingon vessels and attack them, thus saving Parvo. So what they plan on doing is beaming Michael and Tyler onto the ship to place some sensors while Stamets does 130 jumps around the vessel to retrieve the data they need to figure out the cloaking technology. All seems to be going swimmingly well until Tyler has a PTSD attack after seeing his Klingon torturer, which means Michael has to do all the work. She sets the sensors, revives Admiral Cornwell, fights the Klingon leader, Cole, and gets everyone off the vessel safely. Good job, Michael. You did a great job. Everyone's really proud of you. 
I'm sure they'll all forgive you for, you know, starting the war. Uh, Also, in that time, Discovery was able to get the info they needed. They attack the Klingon ship and win the day. Everyone celebrates. Time to head home for some R&R. So they do one last jump. But whoopsie, Stamets' brain has had just about enough and they are lost in space. The end. Very nice. Alrighty then, let's uh, let's keep moving right along. Let's start with before we get into our uh, five word summations. Let's just talk about our history with the Star Trek fan- franchise. Yes. Um, personally, I have seen very little. Really, mm. I've seen bits and pieces here and there. I watched a reasonable amount of the original series when it used to be on late night TV when I was a kid. Okay. Liam and my favorite trick was to pretend we were asleep, mm-hmm. wait for the babysitter to leave, then get up and turn on the TV and often Star Trek was on, which was cool. So we used to watch a little bit of that together, the old Captain Kirk Spock stuff. Um but my memories of it are basic at best. Mm-hmm. There's very little in there that it's actually memorable to me. Um but I did enjoy it at the time. In terms of the new stuff, I've seen a handful of episodes of the next generation when they've just been on TV. I mm-hmm. don't think... Of, I, I couldn't tell you how many times I've actually... Or very few times have I watched one from beginning to end. It's more likely I've turned on the TV, it's 10 minutes into an episode, like, oh, I'll just watch the end of that and then move on. Right. I've seen maybe even less Voyager and don't think I've seen any Deep Space Nine. Like, I don't know anything about Deep Space Nine. I think I watched one episode of Enterprise at some stage as well, but again, just like... <laughs> like it's. I've dipped my toe into this a couple of times. Mm. I've seen a couple of the next generation or the yeah next generation movies. Yeah, I've seen. I think especially I've seen all of them. especially the one that I saw was the one where Kirk comes back. Um, right, and they like a bunch Is of that the, the first one. I think that's the first one. Possibly, and a bunch yeah. of the crew are like back on Earth when they're developing mm. walk technology and the guy from the farmer from Bay Big in the City is like the guy <laughs> who did it. Or Bay, Bay One, I should say. Um, no, I love that you went with Bay, Bay Big in, in the City. city. <laughs> it's like yeah. a cameo in that one. That's what we all remember. Yep. <laughs> um, yeah. And I've seen all three of the reboots ones. So, all mm. the ones with Chris Pine and Zachary Quinto. I've seen all three of those. I liked the first one. I did not like the second one very much. And the third one's okay. That's my Star Trek. <laughs> so I'm coming to this as kind of like someone who is, I think, I think for a long time I resisted Star Trek, thinking like, oh, Star Wars is better or whatever. I had some weird like mm. fan want to like one over the other. I'm actually quite interested in Star Trek now, especially when I hear more and more writers that I like really love the next generation in particular. Mm. And I'm I'm curious to go back and even watch the next generation, even though I'm sure it's dated quite a bit. Yeah. Um. So, I, I want to get invested in the series. And so, I was excited since it's a new series. Like, oh, cool. Like, this is a this good is jumping chance. in point. Yeah, yeah. totally. What about um, you? Yeah. So, I have watched Star Trek Voyager before mm-hmm. um, when I was much younger, mm-hmm. at, like teens. I really liked it. I had a sexual awakening with uh, Se- Seven of Nine. Oh, right. Um, is she? Is that mm, actually in um, in the show that she is gay or anything in particular or is that more that she no. just became a gay icon afterwards because i've seen is stuff she a with gay like, icon? well i saw a photo of seven and nine and xena the other day oh. and was like yeah they seem to have like oh, fulfilled a was, similar role culturally at the time. I, I just found her very attractive in a confusing way she's, I, I she's did, borg yeah 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 um trying to find See, her this is how much i don't know her surface humanity. level stuff yeah yeah so i watched voyager i really enjoyed that 
Um, love Janeway. Mm-hmm. I have, I think I've seen all of the next gen movies. Yep. I've watched Wrath of Khan. I've watched a few episodes of the original series. Yep. Um, I tried to watch a bunch of the old movies. Yeah. I, c- I couldn't really do it. Isn't it meant to be that the, the odd-numbered ones are the good ones and the other ones are all oh, shit? I wish I'd ha- I knew that. Well, but yeah, I, numbered ones. I mean, I was like 19 when I tried to watch them. Maybe if I watched them now, my appreciation would be different. But at the time, I was like, I don't get it, man. I don't understand why people are loving this. Um, and yeah, I've, I've seen quite a, f- yeah, quite a few episodes of um, Next Gen as well. Okay. Just like late-night TV like you. And I've obviously watched the um, was it the Kelvin timeline movies? That's the new ones. Yeah, the, the Kelvin new one. I've Yeah, sure. Obviously watched all them. I like the first one. The first one's gr- I love the first one. I think yeah. the first one's a fantastic film. The second one, Is no rubbish. Uh, third one, I don't really remember it, but I re- don't remember disliking it as much as the second one. The third one, I think, has got a lot of stuff going for it. That I like that they team up. They team up different people, don't they? Yeah, but I didn't find that partic- like that, that. Like we talked about this uh, with Stranger Things. It's like they do split people up, yeah. but some people get left behind. Um, or Aurora, what's her name? The uh, the translator. Uh, Yathura. Y- That's not right. Y- mm. Ahura. 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 And Sulu. Yeah. Get like just a prisoner for like most of that movie. And you team Come up, here, our people of colour. We'll put you basically, in this corner. Spock and McCoy do get some good stuff That's together, right. I think. Yeah, I remember that bit. Yeah. And then Kirk and Chekhov um, have some stuff. And Scotty gets to team up with like the alien lady who's quite good. Um, mm. It was it was okay. Ma- yeah, I have very little memory. It was fun. It was the Beastie yeah. Boys bit was actually good. The ending is oh, Idris Elba's the a bad Beastie guy. Beastie Boys right. bit. There's yeah, there's a bit where they actually play the Beastie Boys, and I was like, it was in the trailers, and everyone was like, no, why is this? And then they use it in a fairly effective and fun way in the movie. Right. I was like, okay. that's surprisingly not bad. Oh, okay. Um, right. And then then the, it goes on an act too long. You know when it's like, oh, the problem's solved. Oh no, the bad guy's still around, mm. and he's going to come up with this large disaster. And it's like, yes, you could have stopped it. It did. We're done. Stop the movie now. <laughs> um, I just remember my favorite Star Trek thing of all time, though, that I've watched as a non-fan, is actually the episode of Futurama um, where no fan has gone before, where Fry, where Star Trek has been banned on Earth because mm-hmm. it created a religion that like, and they had to like get rid of Star Trek, and so they sent all the act. Well, all. Evidence of Star Trek left, and then most of the actors left. Um, Leonard Nimoy stayed behind, and then they go searching for his friends, for Leonard Nimoy's friends, mm. and they crash land on this planet that's like this alien, gaseous aliens, a massive fan of the original <laughs> Star Trek, and like he's been holding them captive. It is yeah. so funny. Yeah, right. it, and all except for the guy who plays Scotty come back to do their voices. Oh, that's great. That's really good. Cool. No, where no man fan has gone before. It's from season four or five and yeah. it's great. I think my favourite like Star Trek thing actually is actually Galaxy Quest, which is not a Star oh, Trek true, thing, that, but it is. Yeah, absolutely. Like, that's my favourite. That's a I movie I need it. to watch again as well. And it's so like, good. it's funny that the parody stuff is good, but the funny thing is it's they're good parody in the sense that they're actually like, they're not just poking fun. They're actually there's sort of an affection, a love for it, and they understand yeah. what makes it good as mm-hmm. well. Um, those th- those are both great. Yeah, and I can appreciate those as someone who's watched barely any Star Trek. Anyway, we need to get start talking about the show. We're, <laughs> we're talking for half an hour. Um, five word summation. Do you want me to go first? Yeah, sure. Okay, go for it. Agents of Shield season one. Agents of Shield season one. Ooh, ooh. 
Uh, I'm going to guess that's in reference to a really rocky, shitty start yeah. that maybe starts social potential towards the end. Yeah, it's um very, yeah, bad start. Real bad, bad start? Bad start that I can see putting off a lot of people. It's a property that people know and putting off a lot of people that love that property because it, it seems to be badly done. I reckon it's it, – the funny thing is, though, it's Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., but reversed in the sense that Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. was way too episodic when it should have been less episodic, mm. whereas this show probably yeah, needs true, to yeah. be more like problem yeah. of the week. Mm-hmm. And it's Let's get to know these people before we start dealing with these huge issues that are to do with, you know, war and, you know, the survival of the Federation and stuff. Yeah, absolutely. Um, okay. Mine is needs to discover some charm. <laughs> <laughs> Snap. Yeah, Snap. Uh, all right, let's get into some discussion points. So, let's start from the very beginning. I can't get let's. that. We don't have the rights to that song. Um, <laughs> the pr- first two episodes are interesting. So, we mentioned already mm. that the, there's sort of this prologue at the beginning that we don't actually get the, discover- the, the discovery, the USS Discovery, until episode three. Instead, we start with Michael Burnham on the Shinzo or Shinzao, whatever it is, mm. with um, Michelle Yeoh's character as Captain Giorgio. Um, and we sort of get to see what could have been in another series, maybe mentioned in passing. It's a bit of a mystery about what happened to the character, why they were a mutineer. Um, we find out through flashback or through other means what went down. Instead, the show goes, no, we're going to start you there. We're going to find out all about Michael Burnham and exactly what went wrong. Um, and how she ended up being a mutineer before she got to the discovery. Mm. So this two hour sort of like proof of concept almost pilot um, that I, for the most part, like. I don't think it's perfect, but... Yeah, it's definitely not perfect. It, as few pilots are, Mm. um, and we've watched shows this year that had horrendous starts that got better as the show went on, thank goodness, Um, especially when they found their heart later on. But this, I think what I found frustrating about this start was that it had elements that then the show lost quickly when it finally got to the discovery. Um, mainly, I actually like Michael and Giorgio together. They have a deep respect and affection that and you a can, history, yeah, and a history that you can feel as yeah. you watch it. We see it demonstrated, though. There's some really terrible, clunky dialogue throughout this season. Sure, um, yeah, you can feel a connection, and you can also feel a respect between Michael and Saru. Um, a rivalry there. But a rivalry, yeah. yeah. Um, which is good. It's complex. And the trio of that, the trio of those three characters is complex. Yes. And then we lose it immediately. Well, I mean, we keep Saru um, and their relationship is even more complex once they get to Discovery. But, but yeah, I mean. Mm. But it's it's... Like, I see what you're trying to do when you make us care about a character. We care about um, Captain Giorgio quite, you know, because she's likable and she's a good leader and Michael obviously has respect for her. Mm -hmm. And then you take her away, which, yes, that invests in Michael's storyline. But then when they're replaced by some people I don't give a shit about, it's like, well, you didn't... Gave me something and took it away and did nothing to fix yeah, that. Yeah, when that you sucks. take something away like that, you have to replace it with something, a, a real reason to take it away. Yeah. And like, like, yeah, what we lose doesn't always feel sufficiently replaced by something else, something 
um, that is meaningful in a different way. Mm-hmm. So, in this one, it starts with the very first scene is actually just Burnham and Giorgio on the on a desert planet, basically. And they've mm-hmm. been on a mission and they're trying to stay sort of hidden from the locals. But there's a sandstorm coming. They need to get back to the Discovery. And they're sort of having a big, deep discussion about leadership and like Michael's future and all sorts of things. And then they have this weird problem where they can't communicate with the ship. So, instead, they walk in the pattern of the Starfleet <laughs> insignia as a sign. And I was like, I liked what you were doing up until that ending. And I was that was dumb. You liked what they were doing up until no, that I, I don't. This whole idea of like starting with them, just like just getting to know the two of them together and draw a connection. I don't mind that on its face. The dialogue isn't great. The writing is so bad. Yeah, the writing so so bad. And then that ending, I was and like by the first credits, by the opening credits, I was like, oh no, <laughs> this is <laughs> oh this is, no, this is a worry. Yeah. Um, so yeah, so that was the struggle. But then we get back onto the ship, and it starts to feel like Star Trek. It actually starts to feel a lot like the 2009 reboot mm. Star Trek in the sense that it looks a lot like Abrams Star Trek. The yeah, that's interesting. Yeah, to set this story before the original series, and yet to take so much of the design from the uh, Kelvin timeline, the mo- the modern story. It's it's a modern story, but it's still like that story still takes place in the same time yeah, but- frame. Yes, it's a skewed version of that mm. timeline, but it's. This doesn't place take place in the Kelvin timeline, does it? No, it doesn't. Yeah. It takes place in the original um, yeah, timeline. Right. Um, so to to I'm, make I'm the, surprised they did that. Well, to it make could have been decision, easy to just give themselves all yeah, sorts of room. To make the decision to set it then, um, and yet to not take any of the design cue, you pretty much make say a period piece, I guess, and to take none of the design, I don't I know. think is strange. I think Enterprise, from what I've seen, set the tone for the future, for the tech looking better in the past. That was set 100 years before. Yeah. Or maybe not 100 years. It was set a long time before the original series. Um, but I think I, like TV makers are a little smarter now and I feel like you should know that it, it's weird to do that. Yeah. It's really weird to do that. It's. I think you've just got to... I, I, I think it would people would have a hard time swallowing it, especially if you're trying to get new fans, if it like had the cardboard sets of the original series. or No, you don't need near- cardboard sets. That's not what I'm talking about. But that's what about. they were. And that's what they look like. Like the original series looks super dated. Yeah, you can... Yeah, you can make it look like it's made of real stuff, like it's a real spaceship, but the mm. technology is at the same level. You're not using touch screens. Like people and seeing things move across the screen and stuff. Uh, I don't have that. I mean, I don't have any connection. Or I, I don't but have I'm, a huge connection. But I'm connection. saying like, okay, so if you can't do that then, mm. why have we said it here? Why are we telling this story if we're not Because going- it's not about the technology though. It's about the – what it like. so it's an untold story about like Starfleet when they were sort of expanding into the universe mm. and we've never – even though the Klingons have always talked about as being like a race of war and a race of honour and stuff like mm. that and we know there was a conflict, it's never been seen yeah. on screen. So you go there because it's an interesting time frame in, in yeah, terms no, of the history of the Starfleet, yeah. not necessarily history I don't of agree that you can't get – new viewers because they're just thinking of it as like doing it as a period piece you're just using the technology similar costumes as then be telling that story of people existing in that time frame but a period a period piece in real life works because we know that these things were actual cultural touchstones right but the problem with a period piece of going like making it look like the original series is that that's just doing a period piece of the 1960s 
of the of of our time when Star Trek was made, when they didn't have a, when they couldn't um, sort of show that sort of technology on TV the way that we can now. Mm. I think, like, I I I do get what you're saying. It's I couldn't care less about it personally. Right. Like Star Wars did it too. If you watch the prequels, yeah. all the technology is better in the prequels than it is in the se- in yeah. the original series, and. You can come up with all sorts of reasons for that because the war ravaged the rebels, so they're just dealing with shit. Let's be honest with it. This is what they would have done if they could have had the technology back when in the seventies yeah. when they made Star Wars, but they didn't, so they couldn't. So, what I think, I just find it incredibly confusing and jarring for my brain. It really is. I'm so wait. When is this set? When is this happening? Right. It, yeah, but, but if this existed I, in like the Kelvin timeline, like oh okay. Sure, yeah. But it doesn't. Because the Kelvin timeline, it's it's set like historically at the same point, obviously, you know, shoot, offshoot, but everything is way updated in yeah. that version. So, somehow by by there being an attack By the on, dad dying. Yeah, by, by Kirk's dad <laughs> dying, by Chris Hemsworth yeah. dying, yeah. They, okay, Chris. their technology advanced yeah. hugely. And I think you just need to look at it. It's almost like looking at this shot in black and white or 3D versus 2D. It's just, it's it's more to do with current day technology than it's got to do with representing any. Because mm. that is not what Star Trek would have looked like if you made Star Trek now. Yeah. it It's just a limitation of a time yeah. period. And I can see, I can see it bugging people. Mm-hmm. And I think... There are way bigger problems than that in this show. Oh, there absolutely are. <laughs> that's yeah. th- that's a non-issue for me, at least personally. It's an issue for me, but there are big, much bigger issues. Sure, yeah. okay. Um, so anyway, so this this stuff all happens, and th- we we're saying it looks like the Abrams stuff. And I think that was smart because that's be- been quite popular. Mm. Um, the reboot movies, not necessarily with Star Trek fans, but with other people who mm. weren't Star Trek fans, including myself, came to those movies and at least enjoyed the first one, the third one. Um. And so, yeah, stealing that aesthetic is not a bad idea, I don't think. And then there's some pretty impressive stuff going on here too. When Burnham's outside the ship and doing her spacewalk, it's pretty freaking cool. And like beyond what I would normally have expected for a Star Trek show, it's it seemed to have been leaning onto some action stuff. However, we find out that that's really just they're trying to impress us in the opening sequence. Yeah. They don't really ever explore that, nor do they have the budget to actually flow through that for the rest of the series. And that's not uncommon in shows either, but it's a little disappointing when you go, look at this massive like spacewalk and huge battles and blah, blah, blah. And then, and then. Yeah. I mean, it's an interesting technique to use that kind of grand scope to lure people in mm. with no intention of going through with it. Because like because they can't. Well, I mean, they allude to it. We we know they're at war. They just they use their budget more selectively. Yeah, no, but that, that's what so I'm much. saying yeah. is that like if you're setting up an expectation that you, you that's can't the problem. fulfill. Yeah, yeah, exactly right. Yeah, we make it look like Star Trek movies. It's mm. the same level of yeah. um, <laughs> polish, and except from episode three onwards, in which yeah. case it isn't. Um, but yeah, so the main just thing that happens at the end of this episode, obviously, is that Michael Burnham. Uh, goes over with Captain Giorgio onto the sarcophagus, onto the ship, mm-hmm. the ship of the dead. Um, Giorgio is killed. It was meant to be a mission to capture the leader of the Klingons. And instead, in a moment of emotion, which for a Vulcan-raised human is a big deal, she... I actually quite like this shot. I think it's a really effective little moment. I know you don't like because you think she went crazy. But if it's a show about... I, 
naturally emotional being who has been taught to be logical all the time mm. to have a moment of emotion that really sabotages her whole career and not just her her life, but... You know what I wish? Yeah. I wish that moment had come when I knew who the fuck Michael was and that she... That I fully understood what it meant in that moment for her to be emotional. So, would it have meant more to you if this was something we reflected back on, if we found out this detail in flashback or later on once so imagine the show starts with michael burnham as a prisoner that everything that happens in episode three happens she's taken on to the discovery and we meet that crew and we find out that she's a mutineer but this captain for some reason wants to have her on board and sort Mm -hmm. of use her because she's very talented she was a first officer she's obviously very good at what she does and we learn more about her that while she's a mutineer there are certain what it was that went wrong. And then we found out as a little bit of a reveal later on that, well, this was the plan and it was only when the emotion took over for a moment that she yeah, fucked up. Yeah, if we, you know, meet Michael and she, you know, is very logical and, mm-hmm. you know, hates emotions and refuses to give – well, I can't hate emotion because that hates emotion. Anyway, <laughs> um, but refuses to give in to emotion. Yeah. And then we see the flashbacks of why she's so adamant now that she yeah. cannot do that. Yeah, that would be far more effective. Sure. Totally. It is in- – yeah, I 100% agree. I think that's something that we needed to – I think there's a real flaw in doing it the way that they have. Yeah. Um, for a number of reasons. While it's an impressive display, while I think as a little two-parter it works fine, it actively sabotages the rest of the storytelling. We didn't need that prologue that happened the way it did. Not so overtly. We could have alluded to some of this stuff and then flash, then like seen images, glimpses, moments, cut to Michael on the ship, on the prisoner ship then taking the discovery and actually start on the yeah. discovery in Make episode me one. curious. Pull me in. <laughs> yeah. Don't just yeah. let me straight up see this person that I don't really know. Just act really stupidly. Yeah. Like, why are you doing that? I, I, stupid as it is, and undoubtedly is a stupid action. Obviously, its consequences are huge. I just, I, 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 I think that a moment is effective. The little just like, Giorgio dies, flicks to red, boom, kills the guy. Right. Everything in that moment changed for Bernard in just a second. It only takes a second to fuck this up completely. Mm. A moment of weakness. She's suddenly a mutineer and the Starfleet's at war. And she isn't hated by human beings and Starfleet from then on. Mm-hmm. That It just took a second. Yeah, but it wasn't even... When I was saying she was going crazy, it wasn't that moment. Oh, earlier when she was trying... Pinch. Yeah, that's true too. Where it was she, like, what? What the yeah. fuck? So, at that, every moment, uh, is she like to me. a loose... That's, well, that's what I'm talking oh, about. It's okay, like, sure. it's just a total loose cannon acting... Like, is it crazy? Like, why would you do that? That's so insane to do that. And yet, it was the thing that, like, she logically came to that. It was an emotion. She logically saw this as the solution, knew it was the best course of action, but took a completely. I don't understand why you would join Starfleet if that's, like, how you act. Like, the chain of command means nothing to you then if it opposes logic. That doesn't make any sense. Well, I mean, does that help at all that we find out that she joined Starfleet as a second option because she was denied being part of the the Vulcan expedition? Yeah, you can't any other occupation that might suit, you know, how how you live your life better. Than being a subservient, like, soldier. Sure, but she was also a first officer who... First officer who was ambitious to become a captain, right? Mm. So, like, she feels like she's a leader and that she is the sort of... She obviously sees herself in these sorts of positions to make these big decisions. And when she sees someone, even someone she respects, 
making a choice that's going to get them all killed. She wants to avoid that. Is it? Is there an? Is there an argument that's heroic to try and like she put her whole career on the line to because ultimately she really truly came to the logical conclusion in her mind that she was going to save millions of lives theoretically, avoid a war and avoid everybody dying on that ship in that moment. Like in a lot of other stories, that would be heroic that she is, even yeah. in the last episode, when I think Lorca I, is like, yeah. we're going to pretend we're going here and actually going to yeah. zoom back. I think if I truly believed, I was like, oh, she is completely right. She, I, to- I'm t- I totally believe believe that like she is justified in her actions 100% then I would be it'd be easier for me to jump on board for her doing something so dramatic but because like everyone's kind of making these rational arguments it makes me go well she just seems irrational then because she isn't she's stopped participating in the discussion and has decided like no I've come to the conclusion the conclusion is this I'm right bam I'm gonna make the decision for everyone it's I think it's an interesting quirk of Star Trek in general that Often there aren't obvious um, people who are wrong. That people that it's uh, again. I haven't watched a whole lot of Star Trek, but it seems to me that often there are people who are coming from two different viewpoints who are kind of valid in their own way. And often the solution is actually somewhere in the middle. And she's not making that choice to make come somewhere in the middle. But it's you, it's hard to get behind Michael when Giorgio seems po- totally like her decision makes sense to her too, mm-hmm. and it's hard to fault that and she's the captain and you know ultimately it's her decision and the, the decision rests on her shoulders that's why she's the captain um it makes things more complex sometimes makes it harder to swallow when people make irrational actions though yeah it's i don't know it i i kind of uh, i think it like at every turn this could have been interesting could sure. have been an in- interesting exploration mm-hmm. but i feel like we never get there well, I want to move on to the rest of the series then. But the, the thing I think I found was that what's frustrating is whatever that had for potential because of the, the way things unravel gets thrown out the window so we mm. can repilot in episode three. Mm-hmm. And we go to the Discovery and yeah, the prologue sets up so many expectations that then it has to immediately undermine and mm-hmm. start again and reintroduce us to a whole new crew on a whole new ship. <sighs> it's It was a bad choice. <laughs> it was ultimately a bad choice. I can see the reasoning behind, let's start with this big dramatic moment that's going to shape this person's life and it's going to be spectacular as well. So it'll help sell the show. But you have undermined the natural flow of your storytelling by Michael is just less curious now when I already know her mm-hmm. backstory so well. Save that for later. Yeah. Yeah. It, there's, I think there's certainly a way to do it that way, I think, in, in, in which she is then taken into a new ship. They're, they're, I'm sure there's a way to do it. They just I don't know. fill that ship with people well, that this is are the, other thing. the worst and so uninteresting and just a bunch of jerks. <laughs> and I was like, I don't, I don't care about – Michael, because one, I think she's she's wrong and should serve life in prison. Um, and she also has no emotions, seemingly. She's so cold. And two, you've put her in like this new environment with people that I do not like at all and do not agree with at all and don't want to spend any time with. So, What yeah. a beautiful combination that is to sit through. Oh, my God. So... <laughs> 
Does it seem to you like one of their objectives with bringing Star Trek Discovery, making Star Trek Discovery, bringing Star Trek back to TV, was not to, like, it would have been easy to just make another, the next, next generation, right? Mm. To, like, well, we know what people expect of Star Trek. Let's just, it's been off the air for a while. Let's try and recreate that with our own Picard or Kirk and our own bunch of bridge officers and et cetera, et cetera, mm-hmm. and have them go. But let's not, how about instead of doing that, let's do something off the wall and be the least Star Trekky Star Trek film pos- show possible where everyone's a fucking jerk. <laughs> and we've got a captain who's a warmonger. We've got a science officer who's a persnickety piece of shit. We've got um, Saru. It fits sort of that second in command. And really he's well, I like, think. he's got a legitimate personal reason to be like, I don't like you. Saru is actually, I think, a good character. I for, think so for too. For what's there. It's interesting. Again, we live in this like utopian society where, and I think this is, might be a weakness of Star Trek in general, where personalities sometimes get pushed aside for reason. And so mm. while they have their flaws and so forth, so many conversations just end up being like passive aggressive, like <laughs> in- intellectual snipes to each other. And it's like, that's only interesting for a while. Mm. Um, I think it comes down to balance. Yeah. And they have just, yeah, they've overcorrected in that in the, everyone, you know, is having these rational discussions and working things out to everyone is an asshole, mm. argumentative, rude, not listening to each other. It's just like, oh, can, can we have a little bit of normalcy, a little bit? Of, yeah, just some balance would be good, I think. It, it, it does seem to have really shifted so far to the other side of the scale mm. that it's forgotten what makes Star Trek interesting at all. Yeah. Um, it doesn't want to have, or it's trying to avoid that sort of epi- problem of the day structure, which mm-hmm. Star Trek is famous for. Um, it's like a new science fiction concept. Let's explore that for 40 minutes um, and come to a conclusion at the end of it. Um, it's missing, yeah, any very many likable characters at all. It's full of morally compromised, dark, brooding people or just angry jerks. Because <laughs> at, at that stage early on as well, you've still got that um, security officer who is just a two-dimensional yep. like soldier wall. Warmonger, like just aggression and it's yeah. just ugh, not fun. And yeah, and you've taken me from... Yeah, that's the thing. You throw me in this other environment. I like. I don't. I don't like this. Can we go back to the place I was before, please? Yeah. That was more interesting to me. It's um. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. It's a problem. Let's go through the characters then. Okay. Well, let's. We've talked a little bit about Michael already, in terms of her backstory and sort of what is her overall sort of story and mm. arc. How you it sounds like you don't have much affection for her just as a person at all, just in her performance or in her. Certainly not. In the beginning mm. of the season, um, I would say, I don't know, five or six episodes in. I was like, seven episodes in, maybe, probably seven episodes in. The one, the magic that would make a man go yeah. mad or whatever it was. I was just like, oh. when they finally started to like give her some sense of emotion and like, yeah, she, desire and human qualities. Her humanity was kind humanity, of that's coming back, uh, which is <laughs> nice. I mean, I don't think her in that. Dude, have any chemistry, but that's another subject. Sure. Um, yep. Yeah, no, I was like, how am I meant to attach myself to Michael? Uh-huh. I, I, she's so cold. She's made terrible decisions. She's mopey all the time. Mm-hmm. Um, she barely speaks unless spoken to. Mm-hmm. What a main character. Like, I just, I, 
yeah, it was really hard for me to care or connect at all. Again, I think the elements are there to make something that be interesting. She's, she has a redemptive arc ahead of her theoretically. Yeah. The problem being that I also need to balance that. Balance is the word mm. you came up with before. Balance that with something that makes me like her. Yeah. Um, do but, you- I mean, making your main character Vulcan is going to be hard. Um, well, it's, but it then sounds you can, interesting, doesn't it? But, yeah, but then human- you can humanize them um, like in the way that they did with like Spock in the – uh, new, new movies. New movies. Yeah. They, they found a way to humanize him, um, which they kind of. Well, he's half human. Yeah. Yeah. And she's, you know, full human. You'd think there'd be a little bit more in there, or we would at least be able to see a bit more a bit sooner. Like, we obviously see that she regrets what she did, but she's so stoic about it that it's it's hard to be like, yeah, it d- doesn't affect me really because it's she's so closed off. The thing that sometimes I think this show forgets is that storytelling ultimately has to be recognisable as a human being, right? Storytelling is about humanity. It's about helping me connect emotionally, empathetically with these characters because I recognise them as being human, right? Even in a world- Or recognise that they have human emotions. Yeah. Even in a world where there is aliens. Mm -hmm. And I'm skipping ahead a little bit here. But I find the Klingon stuff really hard to watch sometimes because I understand they're aliens. Like, I get that. Mm -hmm. I get that you want to make everything alien there. I get you want to make their language alien. But you're making me try to invest in their storyline as well. And that means you need to give them humanity. And I know that sounds weird, but I can't connect with them if they're alien because I don't understand them. I can't understand them. Mm -hmm. Um, Their language even just... Again, yeah, it sounds alien. Great. But doesn't register with emotion or meaning or feeling or any authenticity that allows me to give a damn. Yeah, I think there was like a possibility to do that with the guy that was exiled. Vok. Yep, the the one who had a we see him um experience hardship. The and, albino one we're talking about, yeah. Yeah, and yeah. you know, a form of discrimination and why that would make him want to be that great leader. Sure. Um and well, you know, open up the Klingon race to, well, obviously not accepting other species, um, but to maybe accepting diversity in their own and how that can make them more powerful and all of that kind of, like that could, there's, I think I saw a spark of something interesting with him, Uh but then we get that other guy who comes in and takes over and he's just, I'm a big, bad general dude who wants to destroy the federation he, he was essentially yeah a big bad he, yeah. he and he was dealt with by the last episode he's gone now in yeah. fact i think it's fair to say that we're probably not going to do a whole lot more with the klingon war i think we know what's going on in the background but it doesn't sound like discovery is going to have much to do with that anymore i think it's going to go to more on something more reminiscent of a normal star trek show next half season i think you reckon i think so i hope so i mean I feel they, like they talk the way they talk about like a we see the the ship blot the way it does it feels like the finale mm. of like Lord of the Rings right where it's like ah damn you Starfleet he blows up he's the only leader we really know about inside the Klingons at this stage that would actually bring the Klingon um, Empire together like that he was like and the guy says the war goes on but you've helped deal a great blow and then we've seen the discovery just skipping ahead to the end here. Disappear into unknown space mm. where it doesn't know where, it's, where it is. So it's disconnect. It's actively disconnected in space. Right. The ship With from the war. The dude that was exiled is he Vok? Vok. I'm never going to remember that. Um, Voq. Is, Voq. Is that this? 
with the torturer lady, mm-hmm. was was she the one that got him on that? Is she that one? Is she that Klingon? She's the Klingon. Yeah. She was the one who went over to the sarcophagus yeah. and said, hey, I've got, you have to give up everything, but I've got something, you've got a way to get back yeah. to, what it, What happened to Vok? Well, that, that's Vok why. just I've, disappeared. That's why I'm thinking that this isn't the last that we see of the. Oh, it's not the last we're seeing of the Klingons. Oh, of the I'm saying war. the war oh, though. The okay, war right. is we recognise yeah. it as being the Klingon Empire, yeah. all the clans or the fa- whatever they're called coming together, houses coming together houses, yeah. and going to war with Starfleet. I think we're probably not going to see much more of that, if any at all. Yeah, I think right. that'll probably resolve itself So we'll have more screen. of a personal thing with Vok and the torture lady being Where on. Where is Vok? Where where did Vok go? Who knows? There's a lot of good theory. There's a lot of theories out there. Oh really? Oh yeah. Oh oh. I'm looking forward to getting a reaction to this because the show the show is leaning pretty heavily into a certain direction about what happened to Vok. But we'll talk about that later. Your- Sounds to do with Tyler, is it? Let- we'll talk about that later. The I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Anyway, let's go back to our character. So Michael Burnham, let's just finish oh, up with Oh, is Vok inside Tyler and that's why he's having flashbacks of him having sex? <laughs> Probably. <laughs> anyway, we'll come back to that. Right. The, um, so Michael, yeah, yeah. There's the, do you think that, they're actively going for this sort of autism type thing with Michael as well, where she, well, I keep thinking that her like emotions thing, she not only is suppressing emotion, she tends to not understand it. She struggles with this idea of like love or connection and how to express that and what that means and whether she's ever felt love before and all these sorts of things as well. Um, She's so logical and she keeps like, she'll, there's this thing that the actress does deliberately where she's sort of like, she'll, she'll stop, making eye contact and sort of just stare into the middle distance a lot, um, which without being an expert in those sorts of conditions at all, to oh, me- Oh, you're not an expert? No, I'm not at oh, all. Oh, okay. <laughs> seemed to me like they maybe were leaning on that idea a little bit. Someone who I is- I don't think so. I, I reckon there's something there. I think um, if anything, they would probably create, like the, the character um, can be someone that, if I know someone on the spectrum can yes. identify with, I would think so, yeah. But I don't think the oh. character actually has. Oh no, no, I don't think necessarily that either. Oh, okay. I think it's like they're kind of using the Vulcan heritage or the Vulcan history as a little bit of a um a metaphor for that. If that makes sense, oh, okay. I don't think they're actively saying that yeah. she's on the spectrum, but I think maybe they're using real life 
um, attributes of someone who is on the spectrum to sort of yeah, like what metaphorically the what of being a Vulcan would that be would like have on a human if exactly they were raised right. in a Vulcan. Yeah, okay, that's that's interesting. When you su- emotion is not something she got to really grapple with, and it, she yeah, had to suppress it instead. And such yeah. extremely logical, everything has to be. Mm-hmm. You know. Um, anyway, I just thought there was some stuff going on there, and Maybe, that might yeah. be helpful to some people as well. I don't know. I'm not. I'm not familiar with. Um, Really Again, neither am I. Any of that stuff. So. I, specul- speculation and feel <laughs> okay. free to correct us. Saru, um, the alien second in command, um, is probably my favourite character in a lot of ways on the show. Okay. Only because he is... I think he is complex. He's well-performed. He's interesting to look at. His design is really good. He... This whole thing His of being like... His design is really good. Great. So, so good. Cool. So alien. Um, the... The whole idea of like being a fear-based um, yeah. alien who like his whole life has been just to survive and be, get away from predators and what that means for him. Once being again, a f- why doesn't why didn't he go and become a farmer? Yeah, uh, just what, well, go that's, chill out. But this man. is that's what's interesting about the character. Yeah. It's like so. Why would someone who is so fear-based does that mean they don't have courage? What are the pros and cons of that person being on Starfleet? Yeah. Why does Captain Lorca, who's a fearmonger? want to have someone like Saru on his ship and second in command. What balance does he provide? He's obviously a very cautious person um, and very cynical. Of And that's not a bad attribute to have even... Because at the end of the day, Lorca doesn't have to listen to what he says. He can say, no, shut up. I'm doing it anyway. But he does provide interesting perspective. And his relationship with Michael is something that I like. He's obviously... He feels cheated by her that... Not only did he take away Captain Giorgio and he, she got in the way of his career progression. Like yeah. there, there was jealousy there, but there's also like a brother sister relationship sort of happening there because they have a, they almost like their mum died that they, and he yeah, feels she, blamed they were towards being her. Reared almost by the by the same woman. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. I mean, I love the complexity of Michael and Saru's relationship Mm -hmm. i think when i'm most enjoying michael it's usually um in those moments because there's real tension there and it's it it is really respect and that's when it is really complicated i like that stuff which which is good i think and it's needed um to have you know rich complex relationships and to be able to see that which we don't really get any any other moments of that that i can think of um yeah no i think saru is wonderful he's beautifully played i can't imagine wearing all that makeup and mm. walking around on those really tall heels it's crazy um it's yeah insane uh it's like slender man he looks great <laughs> like but like way scarier than slender man like if you saw him in the forest oh yeah immediate shit in the pants you know like <laughs> it's not even a pause but, oh okay cool death hello how are you <laughs> um yeah and i i as much as i the episode in, on um, Parvo. Parvo, I like the idea of that. I get, agreed. But the it's a very Star Trek yeah. idea, isn't yeah. it? It's sort of a Star Trek episode. Like where- two episodes in a row, it was the time travel one and the Parvo one. I was like, both of my notes were like, this feels like a Star Trek episode. This feels like a Star Trek episode. Yeah. Just unfortunately, the, the execution isn't quite down. They haven't been able to balance that, um, the feel of a Star Trek episode with... I guess the darkness of what yes. they're aiming for in the new, the, the 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 balance is once again talking about balance is off there. Agreed. Um, but I thought the yeah the exploration of this fear based creature yeah um, that also like 
has the ability to be a terrifying hunter, which yeah. is interesting. Um, yeah, him finally feeling peace and how that would be so enticing to want to stay there mm-hmm. and to live with creatures that at, at all costs are, are trying to, you know, achieve peace. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I think that's really interesting and I wish we could have got a better version of that because I would love to spend some more time with, you know, Saru and get to know a little bit more about him and his species. I'm, I am I am keen to yeah. find out more about Saru in the future. I like him a lot. He's, he's a good character. Uh, Gabriel Lorca, Captain Gabriel Lorca, played by Jason Isaacs, who I like quite a lot. Uh, previously, actor, yeah. yeah, previously, uh, uh, General uh, Admiral Zhao from because uh, he's oh, he's yeah. um, from the UK. He might be Irish or something like that. I don't think he's is br- he? Yeah, and uh, anyway, he's definitely British or thereabouts. So when he does like an American <laughs> accent, I always find that interesting. And he's he's got his Admiral Zhao going in this one, which I quite like. Right. Um, <sighs> this is not. <sighs> They don't start. They don't start Lorca off in a good place. Again, I can see the reflect reflex to like, let's make this the least Picard captain ever. Picard's everyone's favorite. He's favorite. the anti Star Trek. He's captain. the anti Star Trek captain. Exactly. Mm. He seems to have no interest in in science whatsoever or exploration. He's from Liverpool, Jason. Isaacs. Liverpool. Thank yeah. you. There you go. Um, except in regards to trying to win the war, he'll mm. do things at any cost to do that. There are some good attributes to him. He's very protective of his crew. He's very protective of Michael, seemingly for some reason. Um, but he will go to any lengths to to win the war. He, I, I think, one of the most on the nose and awful things they've done with him this season is make this give him this like thing about he has to be in dark rooms. <laughs> That's so on the nose, dude. You Lurking want, in the shadows. Yeah, you want to make him dark and mysterious, so yeah. you give him an eye condition, so he needs to be in low light all the time. No, that's awful. Whoever idea that was, kick them out of the writing room because that is terrible. I reckon all the people in the writing room just high-fived each other. Oh, so, That's so good. It actually makes me wonder if Brian Fuller was behind some of that stuff though. There are some like legacy mm. things that have been left over from his initial pitch that they've had to move, like deal with and move yeah. through to get to a place where it actually becomes a bit of a Star Trek show again. Yeah, I find his character incredibly boring. His... He is so obviously devious, yeah. so obviously bad. Um, the fact that when he's threatened with his ship being taken away, <laughs> he sends the Admiral... His ex-girlfriend, apparently. His ex-girlfriend, Admiral, and, you know, superior yep. into like a... A, um, a trap. A trap. <laughs> it's fucking insane. Seems a little annoyed when he finds out she survived too. Yeah. It's just like, yeah... It, mm, and I'm sure there's a way, once again, to make that character interesting, make an anti-Starfleet captain. But I don't, I don't care. So how do you feel about him in this last episode in particular where he he actively makes a choice to do something I would suggest kind of admirable and go against Starfleet orders and return yeah. to Parvo he comes up with a plan that, well, I think while I'm, dangerous... I'm just confused, I think. I don't know what... Where did that come from? Well, I don't know what he's doing. Is it just because he he wants to fight? Is that his one goal is to be able to fight all the time? Is that 
just all he wants is to be able to fight. But then he has these like turns at the end where he's like really thankful towards um, what's the name of the. But you never know if it's like, is he just being manipulative? Well, this is the question, right? So the Stamet stuff at the end, he's like, he's going to give him the award that was offered to him from Starfleet. But then he's the one who sort of does ultimately convince him, but in a very thankful and appreciative mm. way, just one more jump. There's a suggestion that maybe he sabotaged that last jump as well. Um, that maybe he actually is trying to avoid going trying to back get to Ooh, yeah. trying to get away from mm. Starfleet because I think I actually interpret well, that bit where he's talking to the Vulcan Starfleet guy, right? And he's like, "Oh yeah, make sure you come back because we're gonna give you an award." Did you read that as like, "Stay the fuck away"? They're gonna commandeer your ship, like they're gonna they're gonna get rid of you and take it, you off the ship. I mean, I def- I got a "fuck you" vibe from that guy. That uh, to me, that sounded like yeah, just. Come back, it'll be cool. As soon as you got that ship, they're going to put handcuffs on him. Right. Like, you disobeyed orders and um, you sent one of our lead, like... But they don't know that Admiral was sent there. They still want to take the ship off him, right? Yeah, okay. I, I think he feels like pressure's on... That that if he returns to Starfleet... But wasn't the Admiral the only one who wanted to take the ship off him? But she got returned... She was in medi... Like, they like evacuated her to medical. she's not... On Discovery she's not Medical on Discovery, anymore? no. Oh, they I made a point of that, no. Oh, okay, sorry, I missed that. But she's not there. Oh. She's somewhere else back with Starfleet now. Right, okay. Um, I I personally interpreted that, I think Lorca might have as well, mm-hmm. that he was actually going to be taken off Discovery if he returned. Right. Yeah, I missed that. And so okay. he's on the run basically with the ship because he's mm. a He's done a, like, a purposeful ship. voyager. Yeah, basically, yeah, yeah. which yeah. is interesting. Yeah, because when they when they you know became lost in space, I was like, is this going to be Voyager? Like, mm. how is this going to play out? Interesting. Okay. Yeah, I, yeah. I yeah. The problem is there's so much big stuff going on that I still feel like I don't really know these people. They because they had to explore the big ideas before they could explore the people themselves. Yeah, like I get kind of the basics of what they stand for, I guess. Yeah, but I don't know who they are. Well, the thing is, either Lorca is still being devious, in which case, okay, whatever mm. that means. If he's not, and he actually everything's an accident, he's actually suddenly got all this virtue and like is a proud captain, all these sort of things that came out of nowhere. Like mm. we didn't see that build for him at all. Um, it's a real issue. All right, move on. Paul Stamets, the science officer, who they just make his character change because he's full of Thank DNA from a alien now. Jesus, yeah. he was intolerable, intolerable at the start. Intolerable. That's the perfect word. It was. He was an awful person. Mm-hmm. There's, I can't imagine him because he's in a relationship with the medical officer. Yeah. I can't imagine anyone being in a relationship with that. Yeah. He's nothing but negativity and meanness. Yeah. What oh what a terrible character. I'm glad Yeah, when they gave him his little personality infusion, I was like, thank goodness. That's exactly what it was. How convened is that though? It's like all of a sudden he's being all hippy dippy and then he sort of mellows out to something that we're in the middle towards the And now he's like and then he was like kind of fun and yeah now he's kind of normal. But I like the fun version of him. Well, I, I'll take the normal version, mm. um, one that's actually a person and not a caricature of like, oh man, the mycelium network is like. Oh yeah, that that was up there. That, yeah, that bit. Yeah, that was way up there. But like, do you think that was an active rewrite? It was like, well, can we make this somehow make him <laughs> not a dick anymore? 
Probably. Because this is fucked. Yeah, how are you going to write that character? In every scene, just being like... Yeah, down has been like, because my question shut is, up, you idiot. Yeah. Was the you're talking about his relationship with the medical officer, right? Yeah, he. You said like, how could you ever like this guy when he's got this personality? But assume he does like him for being who he is initially. Where's the where's the like conflict of the fact that he's completely had a personality change? You're not the person that I have been in a relationship with yeah, for the last you how are many years. Completely different. What the fuck happened to and you? And as like a doctor, I'm not seriously concerned about that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, I'm glad that character changed too. And they did do some fun things with him. How did you feel about um, the episode, the one with Harry Mudd and the the Groundhog Day episode, essentially? Um, I, I liked that they had someone in there who saw the game. I thought that was interesting. I quite liked that. Do I understand how that ha- works? No, I've got no idea. Convenient. Yeah. Um, I think they focused on the wrong characters that episode. I think we should have been following Stamets around that episode. I agree. What, it is much more interesting for him to... He cares to, about Michael and Tyler. They like, want you to care. They really want you to care, but I don't. About Michael and Tyler. Yeah. But the... I kept thinking, could we be following Stamets instead because his perspective on this is going to be much more interesting than Michael, who every time... That this changes, she forgets. Although that started to get confusing for me because she started to act like she did remember things. Yeah. There was one bit like where he, he holds her hand mm-hmm. and I was like, did she travel sort of back with you this time and now remembers? But no, it's just yeah, that every time yeah. he's reconvincing her and she's still having growth somehow. Like this half minute, by by the time we get to the end, she still only experienced one version of that half hour, but has had a massive like arc. Mm. Like, no, that makes no sense whatsoever. I'm so confused about this. this is Can amazing. we just talk about how terrible her secret is? That she's never that she's loved never anyone. That she's never been in love. Never been in love. You couldn't think of anything else? Like no other secret that would have, I don't know, actually been a secret instead mm. of like, oh, you've never been in love. I was like, if someone said to me, I'm like, yeah, thanks. Thanks for bringing that up. Like, it, yeah, it was just bizarre. It's meant to be and poetic and meaningful and obviously I think people can sweet. probably guess that she's never been in love. It's pretty obvious. Sure. Sure. It's it's just terrible. It's so lame. It's, it's it so lame, is, lame. Lame is the answer there. Um, I like... Well, while we're here, since we're talking about that episode, what do you think of Harry Mudd as a character? You said it in your thing. A, He's I, from a different yeah, show. I have a complicated relationship yeah? with Mudd because... I quite enjoyed him, uh-huh. but he sh- he's why is he in this show? Yeah, yeah, if he was in a different show, I'd be like that makes sense. So I like him. Him in this show does make sense to me. He made more sense. I can imagine a character I've never seen. Obviously, the original Harry Mudd stuff from TOS, but the I can imagine him fitting in that more campy. Well, apparently, the original w- version of Mudd is very campy, like very right. over the top. Yeah. Totally, which. You know, that show Fits. was too. Yeah. Yeah. In a lot of ways, that show was very campy and sort of mm-hmm. over the top. And so, him being in this show, there is an injection of personality, but he does feel like he's from a completely different universe. Yeah. Um, when he says, she's, I think Michael says to him, you're mad. He's like, I'm mud. I'm like, no, no, that's, <laughs> that's bad. That's just bad writing. <laughs> that's awful. There's a lot of bad writing in this show. Do you have any specific examples? I mean, you just gave a great one. That was a good one. Just like so much of the dialogue is heavy. It's so heavy handed. Yeah. And it's often just people like monologuing at each other. 
and just There's like this, this is like this is my stance and this is my opinion and this is, is also who I am and blah, blah, blah. and then the other person just says the opposite of that. Am I wrong in saying that's a Star Trek thing? That that's the sort of thing that's happened in the past. Mm, maybe, but the Star Trek stuff that we've seen before has come before we've experienced such a wave of incredible TV. Sure. So now to watch it, it's like, ugh, have we learnt nothing? It feels dated. It feels really like, yeah. Yeah. Bad. Uh, let's keep moving then. Ash. Oh, no. Sylvia Tilly. Uh, mm. Burnham's roommate. Mm-hmm. The uh, dorky redhead um, who has ambitions of being a captain and is obviously very smart, but... Poor man's Kaylee, yeah. A poor man... No. There is no Kaylee comparison there. She's like the... Kaylee's way more put together. She's like the dorky kind of like, oh, I'm just kind of like, no one notices me on the ship and I'm just kind of like insecure and blah, blah, blah. But then also she's not at the end for some reason. They do a weird character switch. Anyway. Um, yeah, no, I, t- I don't know. Whatever. She, her introduction in when you <laughs> Can got... Can you tell? I just don't care about the shit. There was a ship full of assholes and they like they tried to compensate by having this super sweet... One nice Nobody person. nice sweet, person. Sweet, sweet, yeah. yeah. Sweet's the word. And... Like noble intentions, there's sweetness there, but is two-dimensional and not particularly interesting or funny or like, I guess she's capable as... Uh, yeah, that character so should that, be funny. She should be funnier. She should Do you have, think they're trying she, to be funny She should have a sense it? of humour. Well, it's it ends up being self-deprecating is her sort of thing where like she's constantly undermining her own ability to mm. function <laughs> yeah. as, as to have friends. She's aware that no one wants to be her roommate and stuff like that. Mm. It's just not interesting. It's not interesting and at just, all. It's they, the obvious like opposite of Burnham. Yeah, she's all emotion and occasionally lacks logic, though she's smart still and is a science officer and yeah. all those things. I mean, she's clearly placed there so Michael can have someone to bond with so he can get to know Michael a bit more. But to like, humanise her theoretically. To humanise her, but... Once again, we don't really see the connection there. Like, we don't see the day-to-day life of what it's like to be on the Discovery to get to know these people. We just see, like, little snippets of... That's. Did you like that about the the time loop episode? Yes. Because we had the party and it was like... Because, again, I'm only approaching Star Trek from what I know. But mm. there's, like, lots of scenes with them, like them in the cafeteria and, like... Which they do a little bit here. But the cafeteria is really boring in this one. Or, like, them mm. at the bar or them in the holodeck and doing things like that. And, like, none of that stuff's really happening. There's none of that... It's always serious this is the next thing that's going to happen and there's no bonding time there's no time just there's very little sense of place in discovery well said which is really important and i would say integral to a star trek series yeah because that's like that's the reason we name it after the ship generally yeah um because it's really important it's a really important place it's home it's where these people live um and and Oftentimes, they love the ship like they love each other. Definitely. And there's... Not that they need to love it, but there's just... We don't even know what Discovery is or means to these people. The the set design is complex there as well because it's got this whole thing of trying to be serious and like dark and it's mm. all very low lit and like it's got its dark corners and stuff like that. So, it's not homely. So, it's not a place you want to be. You've got no aspiration to be on the Discovery with these no. people, um, which I think would be... Different with the original series and yeah. Next Generation in particular. Because I, when I started watching start this Discovery, I kept seeing on Twitter people like comparing it to Orville, the Orville. 
Oh, um, oh yeah, because that's that new series, the Seth MacFarlane one. Yeah, one. yeah. Um, and a lot of people being like, "Look, if I'm gonna watch a Star Trek show, I'm gonna be watching the Orville because that's an actual Star Trek show." So I started watching it, and I think I watched the first two or three episodes. Yeah. I'd much rather hang out with those people. I'd much really? rather be on that ship. Wow. And I can't speak to like how the rest of the season goes, but it made me, I felt like a young kid again watching Star Trek or Galaxy Quest or Starship Troopers where I was like, oh, I want to be out in space. I want to be on a starship. It looks fucking awesome. I want to wear their uniforms. Like it, it made me really excited. It made me kind of daydream about, you know, being on a starship again like yeah. I was when I was younger. Whereas this, yeah, like you said, there's nothing aspirational or like I want to be there about this show. Gotcha. Uh, Ash Tyler, the security officer who gets introduced in episode five, I think. Episode mm. five, yeah. Um, he was on one of the ships that was in the Battle of the Binary Star. He was captured by, taken by the Klingons and then was on that for seven months. So that's interesting. We find out there's been seven months since the Battle of the Binary Star, which we didn't really, I don't think time passing had been addressed particularly well. We don't know how long Burnham was like just on a prison, in a prison cell being waiting for transfer or something mm. like that either. But seven months is an interesting amount of time. Um, and then he is rescued as part of Captain Lorca's rescue mm-hmm. and then he gets promoted Immediately to security, security officer. officer. Hello, stranger. Lorca I trust you completely. trusts him completely mm-hmm. all of a sudden. And then he ends up sort of just being the love interest for Michael mm-hmm. and being like a security officer, I guess. So he's like good at that. <laughs> Um, yeah. yeah. I mean, Michael seems better at that than he is, but yeah. He gets interesting, slightly interesting towards the end. He does talk a lot about his torture and time on the Klingon ship, and they start alluding to, well, not even alluding to, saying outright that he volunteered for some of his torture and abuses as a way to survive when he was on the Klingon ship. And there, it's implied that not only was he tortured uh- like traditionally, but sexually. Yeah, it seems like he was being tortured and then he noticed um, his torturer having a certain affinity towards him. And so um, when advances were made, Mm -hmm. he relented Yeah, in order to survive. In order to survive. Mm -hmm. Um, And so he's left in – he had that PTSD moment – when he was on board the Klingon ship in the last episode and then is still having like traumatic dreams now that uh, that Laurel, the Klingon uh, woman, torturer, intelligence officer, whatever she was on the Klingon ship, is yeah. now has now been captured as on board the Discovery. Uh, he goes and sort of has a little confrontation with her in the brig mm-hmm. and she says everything will make sense soon. Yeah. So, bum, bum, bum. so, 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 how do you feel about this theory? A, let's just say right, right, outright, Ash Tyler is boring as F at the moment. Yes, so boring. There's nothing. You're reminding me of um, Agent What's-His-Face in season one of S.H.I.E.L.D. He, yeah, was really boring. He just was, he couldn't yeah, have been. He was so just boring. the muscle and. Mm. All American dude. Super handsome. Sky was like falling yeah. for him just because he was. You're so handsome and yeah, strong. Yeah. yeah. And there was nothing else going on there. Um, they made him a little more interesting later on. What they're trying to do with Ash, it seems like... So, how do you feel about this theory? That he is either Vok or mm. somehow like has Vok inside him. Inside him. Interesting. 
Makes Does that interest you a bit more? Yeah, that yeah, of course. Because the timing, there's. <laughs> did you had you had any suspicion there was something wrong with him before the last episode? That, no. Okay. I don't think so. No. So the moment I, I met mean, him, I mean, I knew he. I figured he was going to be bad. Okay. I thought he was going to have uh, been turned to be like some sort of double agent or just sure, which I be think a saboteur or something. It's That's, still very much a possibility that he's um, exactly that sleeper agent now. The way that people were speaking about him and to him made yes. me go, oh, you're going to betray everyone. You mean the way the script <laughs> did everything in its power without outright saying it to make you mm. be suspicious of him? Mm-hmm. So, because the episode where you meet him on board the Klingon ship in the prison cell, Lorca's just like, no one survived seven years of torture from the Klingons. Seven and he's, months, yeah. He, seven months, sorry. And he's just like being super um, like shady about yeah. it and not really answering correctly. Yeah. And being made security officer, obviously being Michael's love interest. Um yeah, they're very. It seemed very obvious that he was going to be bad to me. Um, it's moments like that, and also when we have um, Stamets about to go in the final poor drive thing, and he's talking about taking time off yeah. and taking R and R and going on a well, date with even, his boyfriend. Even his like "I love yous" that they were happening, yeah. and having the kiss and stuff like, which is the first uh, gay kiss, in, oh, at least between men in Star Trek. By yeah. The way. Um, yeah. Just. Tells me, like, what is this writing? It's so below average to me. It makes me really angry. It's just moments like that that made me go, what are you doing? We have seen this before and I've seen it done better. Like, mm, I'm so frustrated with the writing on this show. Um, So, do you think it's – I think it's the most likely scenario here is that Vok is somehow, like – Inside mm. him, it's not that he is Vok. But that's no, it. I don't it's think possible so. he could have been like because you see all like the torturous device and stuff like that. Yeah, he could have been like changed, like but surgery how- to make him look human. Why but why would he be confused about his identity then? Well, that's either brainwashing or some sort, or he's playing a role. But that doesn't seem to be the case anymore. No. It could have been at first that he was pretending, and now it seems like it's not the case. Mm. It's more likely he's been like implanted inside him as a sleeper agent to eventually take over his yeah. body and like take down Federation from the inside. Yeah. Um, I like that theory. I think that, that that means they have somewhere interesting to go with Tyler, which I didn't my worry think was, was possible. My worry was that, especially when they started introducing the whole torture and then sexual abuse side mm. of things, that they might have just undone all of it. It made it that he was always Vok. He was just... And he's just having flashbacks to when he was still Vok or when he was conscious that he was Vok. And then... Um, the the now if he's inside him, I think it makes it more complex because that way uh, Tyler is still present for all of that abuse that's going on. The reasons for it happening the way it are are more interesting and complex from Laurel's side, like why she's doing it, what her affinity for Tyler is. Mm. But it still at least allows him to have been to suffer and not just go at the end of it, oh, no, it didn't happen. He was misinterpreting memories or something like that. Mm. It wasn't real trauma. What are your thoughts on Laurel? Uh, my, I hate that her name's Laurel. Laurel <laughs> sounds like a middle-aged accountant from Australia. Laurel's interesting. Oh, be- can you just email Laurel <laughs> about those invoices? Yeah, anyway. Laurel, I can sort of see there's a potential to make her because she sort of rides this line of loyalty towards that previous sort of torchbearer for mm-hmm. the Klingons. She doesn't like Cole or whatever his name is, the guy that ended up taking over the Klingons. Yeah, she. Um, she may like she can speak English, I believe, as well. Like, yes, she can. So she's got this maybe because theoretically we know that the Klingons have to eventually form a bit of a bridge with 
the humans. Their cl- conflict can't go on forever. Um, so maybe she's going to be a part of that storyline. Um, I don't know at this stage what how I feel about her. Yeah. Why? I just because I was finding it really hard. Oh, really boring. It must just be the Klingon language because it's so slow. I, it's th- so I think the Klingon out. language is really problematic. And it's really hard to get through those scenes and to... We had huge, huge scenes with Klingons this mm. season that I had trouble focusing on. And like, not I have no problem with reading subtitles, but it's just... It's slow though. It's slow. And there's because there's very little emotion in that language because of the... Because it's not a real language, all right? I know it's like... A language. Whoa. Yeah, I know. Controversial statement. Hot I know take, that people hot take here. Can, Klingon is not a language. Said people, by broad. But people can speak Klingon, but it's not a real culture. It's missing all of the things that a human language, at the very least, has in terms of emphasis and irritation and emotion and stuff like that. Um, again, yeah, they're alien, which is interesting for a moment. But when you're trying to get me to invest in their storyline. And give me heaps of this stuff. I need they need to become human enough that I care. Mm. And the, the is, language keeps them just you know, keeps them at arm's length. If you know Tyler does become what's his face? Vok. Vok, thank you. Um, it could be interesting to see the emotional the emotion between him and Laurel yeah. come out. Like that could perhaps humanize them for us, which would be good. Yeah, I think those two are their best bet. Mm-hmm. Um, to get me anywhere that I care. But the Klingon storyline in general that I had beforehand. Um, and maybe, I don't know. The, so, one of the things about watching After Trek is they kept really talking up the Klingon side of things. Mm. And I was like, they're just, the, most of them are just big, bad, bad aliens. Yeah. And I don't care. They're, they're less interesting than like the orcs in The Lord of the Rings who at least have personalities but are just generically evil. Yeah, yeah. You need to like if you're gonna have like a warrior race, you need to have like a moment like they had in Game of Thrones with like Carl Drogo, like something that's going to humanize mm-hmm. at least one of them. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, to whether you're on their side or not, to but to, to at least want to go along their journey as well. Definitely, so not really doing anything else. Um, do we have any thoughts about Sarek, Spock, and Michael's dad? Oh, you noticed also that Michael has um a traditionally male name because that's apparently what um, Brian Fuller does in all of his shows. He gives them oh, like George in yeah, Dead Like Me and stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Okay. Um, what do I think about Sarek? Do you have much thoughts about Sarek? No. I mean. I'll tell you what. I think it's int- I think it's a probably a stupid move. I don't know why he had to be Spock's dad i don't know why they felt the need to do that i suppose the thought was if they're going to make michael sort of someone who's been taught the vulcan ways he's an obvious option easy option because he's already got a human wife and has a half human half vulcan son so he is abnormal inside the vulcan culture Mm. right so for him to for if anyone was going to take someone like michael and adopt them it would make sense to be Mm -hmm. surek that being said, making our main character Spock's sister is kind of like <laughs> a bit pooey. It's it's a bit yeah. stinky that I, that idea. It's it smells like a cheap like offshoot. You know what I mean? He's yeah. Like, oh yeah. Oh, the adventures Spock has of sequences? Spock's sister. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly right. Yeah. I, I the one thing I did find interesting for a moment was in Sarek's storyline the idea of like these logic fundamentalists who like 
will blow uh, themselves so, up because I'm sorry. <laughs> logically, no, how it's can illogical. It, yeah, how can it, an extremist be logical? No, it doesn't not. make any sense. No, no, it's illogical. It doesn't make any sense at all. I'm so confused by it. But that's part of the thing with the Vulcans is always finding out that they are actually a, a hugely illogical race in many ways. Right, okay. That this whole thing of that logic is key does not mean that they are capable of there's not yeah that means that they're capable of still making illogical choices mm. um, whether they through faulty logic or just through the fact that they do have emotions they just try and suppress them yeah so is with the Vulcans mm-hmm. again this is me is, talking as someone who barely knows Star Trek but yeah okay is, is their ability to be logical is that natural or is that cultural cultural I think okay I think right I think from what I understand they that at least I'm thinking more about the movies that I that when Spock is talking to Vulcans he does have a mo- oh we're not a writer's his mum isn't he isn't she yeah. I got that that's amazing um but isn't that because Spock is half human I think that even vol- other Vulcans are meant to be have emotion it's just one of those things that's like suppressed early on it's not oh, they okay. are without emotion right. it's just that they they're just um, training up young to, to not, not have deal it. with that yeah, stuff. Basically. Yeah, basically. Okay. All right. Write in if we're totally wrong. Please. <laughs> yeah. If it turns out it's completely genetic and they have no emotions, let us know. I'll look that up later. <laughs> Correct it for season or well, season one part two. Um, do you? Is there anything particularly you want to talk about? I've got a couple of little notes before we start getting into our closing thoughts. Is there anything else you want to bring up specifically? Uh, I just want your opinion on what did you think about the like – the telepathic connection between Michael and... Um, it's interesting when science fiction starts to like delve into like magic mm. type stuff a little bit. Uh, so, I don't know. Is this pre... Do we understand this to be a real thing in Star Trek lore that people no. can be connected over this sort of distance like that? No. That's new, is it? I believe so, yeah. Okay. Yeah, I don't love it. Yeah. <laughs> um, the whole sort of mind meld thing makes is interesting. I don't think it is, but that's like like the whole a lot of the 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 science behind this is based on this mycelian network is apparently a real science theory um, that we are more connected by things like spores which can travel through space and stuff like that, mm-hmm. um, and that maybe when they're doing this they're leaning on that idea that we're more connected that's that. Distance doesn't really mean that much. When the Discovery can just be in one place and then appear somewhere else, which obviously um, is not going to last because we know that Starfleet doesn't have that technology in the future. It's yeah. dangerous and hard to do and it's got causing more problems than it solves. Um, the, I guess they're leaning to the idea that they can do that sort of stuff and it's okay scientifically sound. Um, how does it... Inside the plot... I like. I don't hate the idea of finding out that she has a complex relationship with her full Vulcan f- adoptive father. Mm. That there is some things about herself that she thought to be true but weren't. I personally think this would have been better served finding out. A, like if we'd moved the first two episodes and found out more about what happened um, at the Battle of the Binary Stars. Now, yeah, I, I don't just, think I this just... revelation matters that much to me overall. No, yeah, I think it's the revelation doesn't seem very important to yeah. me. It doesn't seem like such a big deal to me, I guess. The f- I mean, obviously it's awful, but I don't understand why he would like 
be sabotaging the rescue effort just to keep that secret. It doesn't seem so shameful to me. I don't think he realises that he is actually injured. She has to keep telling him. Oh, okay. So, I think part of it's just like his his subconscious is automatically trying to keep her out of this part of his brain. Right, okay. Um, Not that that he is doing it deliberately to sabotage his rescue. Okay. It's like a reflexive, like, whoa, get the fuck out of here. You shouldn't right. be here. But that's thing. the this thing is, This is his shame, his, right? Yeah. Because even though he's full Vulcan, doesn't mean he can't experience shame. Yeah. Because I, I did just read, um, Vulcans are noted for their attempt to live by logic and reason, which means they're attempting to do it. So, it's yeah. not natural. Yeah. Cool. cool. Um, yeah. No, like, I just I just thought it was, it seemed a bit silly. It seemed, In the it's, scope it's of things, of all things, things that are going on, it seemed a bit silly. Sure. Do you, how do you feel about like the mycelium network and the whole spore drive thing and the? No, I no idea what's happening. It seems well because I remember like watching episodes of Star Trek and feeling like I was learning along yeah. the way, um, you know about physics and all that nonsense that in high school I was like I don't understand anything you show me a Star Trek episode I'm like that's cool I kind of get a, like a basic grasp of sure. what, what you're talking about because they kind of explain it to you with this I have no idea. What, 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 question mark. I don't know. Did they just do a poor job of explaining it? Maybe, yeah. Because I just, I didn't quite understand what was, how, how it was happening. It does feel like an attempt to just one-up the, like, science that we know, which is like, you know, warp Mm. five or whatever, like the ability to travel faster than the speed of light and great distances that way and just Mm. go, fuck it, maybe this ship can just appear wherever the fuck we want it to. Yeah. Um, At least they've made it complex and it obviously comes with its downsides as well. Yeah. Um, Maybe it's just because when they're explaining it, it comes from like Stamets when he's a jerk and he just like doesn't want to really explain it, I guess. I don't know. It just, yeah. Mm. I was reading a Gizmodo review of the last episode mm-hmm. um, by Catherine Trendacosta. I'll add this link to the show notes so people can check it out later. And I like this quote. She was talking about how she liked this episode the most. The last one. The last one. Mm-hmm. Because it started the show she wanted to be even though it wasn't earned. And I think this was... Um, I like this quote that she wrote. Man, I wish this season had been about a science ship press-ganged into a war effort with a new hawkish captain and about both sides learning to value the value of each other. Wouldn't that have been interesting? This finale would have been even better if it had been earned. I was like, I think that encapsulates my thoughts pretty well. I think there are some good ideas in here. I think the idea of like what happens in Starfleet go to war aren't too bad. Yeah. But it doesn't do a good enough job of really exploring... Like, yes, this ship is like unlike any other Starfleet ship we've seen before, but it doesn't do a good enough job of like actually contrasting, comparing them. Um, it just is. They're just all jerks and they're all bad and they're trying to make it. And by the end of it, by this end of this season finale, they are starting to act more like Star Trek, Starfleet officers mm-hmm. and like a normal Starfleet ship in some ways. Yeah. Um, but it doesn't earn its. So, you mean the contrast there. between the scientists on the ship so, and the people who. So, imagine if, are like, um, similar things had happened. Giorgio had died. Yeah. And then we're at war. And then Lorca is assigned to the Discovery. And he's this warmongering, like, mm, we have to win at all costs. And they're taking over. Yeah. And we have all these people who are. He maybe brings a couple of people with him, too. Yeah. But we have this science um, minded. Right. I see what you're saying. Sh- crew who mm-hmm. already have a connection who yeah, that's why they signed up to Starfleet that's not why to fight that's wars. exactly yeah. right and they are being pushed into becoming warriors and they are being asked to do things they never would have conceived they had to do and maybe they learn some stuff from that and maybe Lorca learned some stuff about mm-hmm. you know where the limits of 
his warrior, what what it means to be a warrior is, and mm-hmm. find some common ground. And you know, I like it's, it. There's there's interesting stories about things like um, Turing during like World War Two, and like his efforts to help break the Enigma code and those sorts of things, and like how important science is in war efforts. Mm. Um, that's technology is is really important during mm-hmm. war. Mm-hmm. And there are stories, interesting stories to tell about the people who were involved in that or even Einstein with like yeah. the atomic bomb the, and yeah, stuff like that. Yeah, the responsibility of having that um, brain power to yeah. invent or discover things that can change the course of history and what do you do with that. And if that power or if your inventions or technology is taken away from you, what responsibility do you have when it's used um, incorrectly and all that kind of stuff? Because you've got this moment in the finale where Lorca does this speech what just before they engage with the Klingon warship and they or warbird or whatever it's called, and they, he's like talking about how they've all become warriors now. And this little moment where like Saru looks over to the woman with the weird like face graft thing, and like they do a little bit of a nod, like yeah, we're warriors now. It's like what, what? <laughs> so wait, was there was there some growth there? Was there a moment I missed where you guys were uh, sort of have grown into these other people because we didn't see that on screen. No. I was just like, who's that lady? Who's that lady? I was like, I, mean, I don't I know this I kept trying people. to figure out, was that lady from originally on the... I think so. Shinzo as well, but she didn't have the, the face graph. She the scar, I believe. I yeah. thought so too, but she never says anything. I, maybe she, I think she might just be a mute character, but it's very confusing. But me. it's weird when they put like weight on them. Yeah. It's like, mm, no, you haven't, yeah, once again, you haven't earned that. She's just a recognizable. <laughs> I really like the like robot android lady yeah me too on the ship I think that design's great yeah she's awesome mm-hmm. I want to know I want to know about that person yeah. we want to know about these people yeah well, I want to meet these people properly mm-hmm. um, also what do you think of the opening credits snooze yeah I always skipped them because I was like this is boring we've talked about opening credits a few different times and mm-hmm. how especially modern day shows really try and make these things things you want to keep watching. Like I love watching the Game of Thrones one. Mm-hmm. I love watching the Stranger Things one. Mm. Uh, we had conflicting opinions, I think, on the American Gods one where I think it is basic, but I, I mean, quite that, enjoyed it for this. style. I'm sick of that style. You're thinking that style. And that, thing, don't you feel like this- The panning over and the things are being built and we're seeing- That's what this style was. That's exactly what it was. <laughs> yeah. And not only that- I'm just bored of it. I found it annoying. I, I think it speaks to- one of the th- things they missed here, which is the, to the show is coming back. It's the first Star Trek show in 12 years. People are hungry for Star Trek because the movies have moved away from what Star Trek is known for as well. They're not yeah. about deep exploration and like coming in contact with alien um, civilization, stuff like that. It became an action it's series. It's about right? exploring. It's about fighting. Yeah. And so people are missing that. So when you concentrate on like the the little like the technology and like they show like the the Vulcan hand sign and like oh, everyone recognizes that so I know you're doing that one and mm. I feel like I I don't know the thing I, I think we all wanted from the show probably was a sense of like wonder and discovery it's fucking called discovery yeah. and so when there's none of that like space imagery in the opening tiles and it doesn't exist inside the show too it feels like Okay, I, I can't blame you for being something else, I guess, but I think you missed the point of yeah. why people wanted well, Star Trek well, to come back. Yeah, that's the thing. I mean, we have the Star Trek films, which are very, like, aggression battle-focused. Um, and I think, you know, if people want a Star Trek TV show, if they're going to be tuning into that, it's because they want more. They want to dive further into that world. Mm-hmm. Um, 
But instead, for a lot of this, it feels like a mini movie. It feels like there's big battles going on Mm -hmm. and we're not getting to know characters, which is what I think most of us love about TV, spending the time with people and getting to know them and we're not doing that in this show. And I think they've completely missed the mark, like you said, as to why people would want a television show about Star Trek. It's not because they want, you know, a 40-minute movie every week. It's because they want a TV show. Yeah. Can I make a quick just little side conversation? Very quick. You've heard the news that Amazon um, ha- are making a Lord of the Rings TV show that's a prequel series. Yeah. How do you feel about that? I'm worried it's going to be exactly what you're talking about. It's yeah. going to like dive into the Silmarillion and the appendices and all this sort of side stuff, which is interesting lore, but we won't get a chance to attach to anybody. And it's going to be these little anthology stories and... It'll, it will vary from week to week greatly, the quality of yeah. it, and it could be really bad. <laughs> I think, I mean, it worries me um, because obviously they have the opportunity to do this, not only because Lord of the Rings and The Hobbit were so successful, but obviously because of the success of Game of Thrones. Yes, that's exactly what And I worry it. that the people that are, you know, involved in making this Lord of the Rings TV show think that Game of Thrones is really popular because it has battles and fantasy elements and that's not why it's so popular. It's popular because of its characters. And we've spoken about it quite a few times. um, I mean, like you said, that is part of the reason it's popular. It's just not the... Like, the battles and stuff are part of it. The spectacle is good. It's just not everything. No, no, no. I don't don't think... You can have big spectacles and stuff, yes. but I don't think you have people so invested if they don't have the, if they don't have the Agreed, characters. Yeah. I think that is absolutely the foundation of a good TV show. Mm-hmm. Um, and I absolutely mean that when I'm talking about Game of Thrones. I, you need it. Without yep. it, you don't have much at all, I don't think. Totally agree. Um, and yeah, we've spoken about it before on quite a few podcasts is – people who take a property without understanding why people love it. Yep. And so that's always going to be the worry when they take something beloved um, because it, the, its genre is popular. You worry what the intentions are. Do they have the, the knowledge um, of the source material? You never know. I mean, I'd be interested to see who the creative teams mm, are around it. I guarantee there'll be at least a couple of Game of Thrones writers in there for yeah, sure. Okay. They'll, they'll, they'll pinch a couple of them, no yeah. doubt. So I I hope it's good, but it, I, I'm certainly worried about it. <laughs> I can't be honest with you. Mm. I would happily take a Hobbit television show mm-hmm. remake. For, forget the films even happened. Yeah, just make a one season television show of The Hobbit, and then you can have a season that sort of builds in between Lord of the Rings, and then go and make Lord of the Rings again. Just make it. We've already got the books. We've got the animated movies. We've got the games. We've got the movies. Um. Just make a TV show of Lord of the Rings as well. Do another version of it because you can tell it differently. Explore different things. Explore it more in depth. Mm. Actually go do Tom Bombadil this time or- you I know, think that's a harder sell though. Oh, I would watch in a second. I want, I want, and I predict it will happen and this is more convincing than ever that it's going to happen. Mm. This happening makes me truly believe we will get Harry Potter, the TV series one day. I hope so. In the next, I used to say 10 years, this is sped up to five. Right. In yeah. five years' time... Well, I feel like you started saying that five years ago. I probably so. did. So, it's probably <laughs> it on track sense, for when I yeah. said. Um, I truly believe that will happen. 
I and I look forward to it. I yeah. think that's a great idea. I, I would think they love sh- to it see should that. be a TV sh- series. Yep, mm-hmm. definitely. Um, one la- I do have one last comment. Um, it's I did took very little. Do you have any quick fire comments? Because I took very Not little really, notes. I got like three. All right, let's just talk. We'll just, yeah, do, we'll just talk about. We're, do, we're going to do a very abbreviated quick fire comments um, without even the music because there's not much to talk about. Why are the sensors so big, so loud, so bright, <laughs> and why do they have a Starfleet insignia on it? What that was dumb That's and so an example funny. of some of the really weird little choices that mm. are made or, or can, the last episode as well when Tilly's like oh thank god you told him that secret about your symptoms it's like that was such terrible 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 writing and mm-hmm. so once convenient again the, right, let's, just the serve, writing is awful yeah awful yeah. awful uh what are your notes um so i said swearing on starfleet makes me uncomfortable when Tilly mm-hmm. swears, I'm like, ah. What'd she say? She <laughs> said, this is so fucking exciting. <laughs> it's the only time they swear. It's the only time they've sworn in Star Trek. And it's weird. It's weird to me that they chose to do that anyway. Um, Harcourt Fenton Mud kind of sounds like it belongs in Harry Potter, that name. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, I don't know what that infusion did to him, but I'm glad he's had a personality infusion as well. Someone yeah. needed it. Uh, Trojan horse, that's pretty fun when um, mud comes in in that whale thing. Oh, in the whale thing, yeah. I thought that was pretty cool. Uh, Parvo is a weird dog disease. Is it really? Yes, it like kills dogs. (gasps) And so I was just like, it was very distracting whenever they mentioned Parvo. Um, And also, does the captain have a bowl of giant fortune cookies? Yes, he does, yeah. He's constantly like cracking them. I just slam the table like he does. (laughs) Yeah. I thought that was interesting. I was like, okay, that's a choice. Um, oh, yeah, and, you know, the doctor and the engineer scientist dude, they're making plans. He's definitely going to die. Yeah, exactly right. <laughs> yeah. Uh, cool. And quickfire comments. What a great round. What a great round. Least favorite and favorite episodes. I'll go first. Uh-huh. Least favorite episode is episode three. Context is for kings, mm-hmm. mainly because it was the repilot. It was like, yeah. let's start Rejig. again and... Just everyone's a bunch of fucking assholes, yeah. and I my just my instant reaction was like, I don't. What happened to the show that I was enjoying? It felt felt exhausting. She's like, oh, I have to sit through another pilot. Why? I mm. just just started caring about what was happening back yeah. there, and now you're completely reshifting my focus. Mm-hmm. I just think it was a terrible choice. I think as spectacular as the prologue kind of is, and how it works on its own in the context of the rest of the show, it was a terrible choice to do it that way. That's my theory, feelings. Fair enough. What about you? Uh, mine's episode four. I hate, it just like really cemented to me how terrible the writing was. <laughs> the dynamic between Michael and the female security officer. Mm-hmm. Who's name I don't remember because yeah. she's like so, so It was early. so basic. It was so dumb. Um, I also didn't like the, when Michael, I think it's in this episode, receives the telescope. It just seemed like cheap emotional manipulation. Um, I don't really, I didn't really like her dynamic with Tilly. I just don't mm-hmm. like this episode, but I mean, I'll be honest. I really struggled picking a least favorite. Cause I, you know, all of them could have fit into that category pretty much. Ellen Landry was the name of the uh, security officer, by right. the way. There you go. Commander Landry. Yeah, right. exactly. All right. What's your favorite? She was really, she was really into Lorca too. They got along quite well. Yeah. Best friends. Mm-hmm. You didn't really seem that affected when she dies though. True. Yeah. That's the thing, right? <laughs> yeah. Anyway. Um, favorite episode personally is episode nine into the Ooh. forest. I go 
Finally, I I think we might actually get past the Klingon war thing, which I think mm-hmm. is good for the show. If it's called Star Trek Discovery, if we can get them doing more conventional Star Trek things, I think that's going to be good for the show. Yes, please. Um, I kind of I'm I'm interested to see what the consequences of the finale things that happen there. So what's going to happen with Tyler and Laurel? Um, what's going to happen with Stamets, who seems to be sick? Mm-hmm. Where the fuck they are? Mm-hmm. Um, all that sort of stuff. I was like, okay, I'm I'm interested to see where you go, especially if we're leaving the Klingons behind, the Klingon war behind. Mm-hmm. And it started to feel like Star Trek and what I think we should be expecting and wanting from a Star Trek show. Yeah, cool. All right, my favourite is episode seven. Magic to make the sanest man go mad. Mm-hmm. Just had a bit of time traveling fun. Um, I like the function of Stamets in that, being able to see the chess pieces, being able to see you know through time. Uh, and it felt like a Star Trek episode. I was like, finally, it felt like a, a bit of fun and I, God knows I needed it at that point. I don't like the conclusion of the episode. Um, yeah. But it, it was fun and I was really struggling to get through at, at that point, so I appreciated it. Yeah, I thought, yeah, Mud is is interesting. At least he's a spark of energy, which is good. Even mm. if he doesn't feel like he fits in the show. I don't know. I don't think they handled I, I, As much as this, the time traveling thing, which we've seen a million times before now, yeah. I don't think they handled it very well, though. It was a little bit muddy about the rules in this oh, one. I, no, I totally agree. Yeah. I'm just saying it was a re- relief for me to watch this episode as opposed to the, the others. Gotcha. Yeah. I'm not saying it was, you know... Well done. <laughs> cool. Um, all right. What's your final score on ranking? Well, there's no ranking yet, obviously. Uh, mine is two and a half. 2.5. think I'm going to give it a three. I think mm-hmm. I liked it a little bit more than you, but yeah. I could, it's a low three. I could easily yeah. lean to I a was, 2.5. I've got here 2.5 or three. And as we're yeah. talking, like, no, it's definitely a 2.5. Sure. It just it didn't grab me, and which is shocking because I really was looking forward to it. I thought this is going to be my jam. And it wasn't. And like, yeah, I mean, I, I, I live for character and it, it didn't have it for me. So I ca- it, it, can't, it can't win. Absolutely. Do you want to keep watching? Um, if it was just me watching this, I probably wouldn't continue, I don't yep. think. I think I'd done. I'd probably um, just start watching or continue watching that. Um, was it The Orval? The Orval. I probably just should we, that. Should we check out The Orville? Is it worth it? Um, I'll watch a couple more episodes and I'll let you know okay, cool. how we go. And don't get me wrong, this is—I'm not sure we should because it's not new great television. Yeah, it's just—it's just simply just rehashing like something that's old that I've seen before. Gotcha. I mean, that's all it's doing. Um, yeah, so I'm—I'm I'm not sure if it's something that it's noteworthy enough. Like, if we sure. were to do that, we'd probably just go back and watch some classic which Star I would, Trek. I would love to watch Next Generation, actually. Yeah, I, I would too. I think that's something we should do um, eventually. So I think we'd probably do better to do that than cool. just watch the Oval. But yeah, no, yeah, just I, I probably wouldn't watch this show. What, what about you? I do want to keep watching. Mm. I feel the potential. I am... It's. I'm going in with faith mm. is the thing. Cautiously optimistic that the show maybe had to get rid of some Brian Fuller baggage at the start and like they were just set up to fail early and they've been... It's been this awkward shift to try and yeah. get to somewhere it becomes a bit of a Star Trek show again. Yeah. Um, I think there's some potential in the Ash Tyler Vox stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, we don't know where they are anymore is good. They're not part of the war, it seems. I I am curious to see what happens next. It's only six episodes next season. Um, it comes back in January. There's nothing on then anyway. Uh, coming out weekly, it's not super mm. taxing. 
I, I'm hoping it's first season jitters as well because we've watched shows. I've watched shows that I love now where the first season isn't great. Yeah, that's true. That's Buffy's first season is good. Don't get me wrong. It's better than this, but it's not, <laughs> it's not as good as the show gets by a long way. Um, what's the other one? Parks and Rec. I do not like its first season. Like even its second season I find hard, but then I love it after that. So I'm going to give it a chance, but I... See, this is the kind I'm, of situation my where... Hand, my hand is like, it's not hovering over the eject button, but it's like yeah. I'm eyeing it. Like I'm, I'm like, I could probably flip the little cover off soon just yeah. to make sure I'm ready to go if I need to. This is the kind of show where I would give up and then until like someone like you or another friend would be like, oh, it gets really good, then I'd go back and watch it. Gotcha. But without that, I, I would never go back How and watch it. How are you going with Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D.? Did you ever get back to that? No, because I needed to watch um, Agent Carter and uh, I couldn't find a good version of that anywhere, so... Gotcha. A good copy of it, so I, couldn't, so I couldn't continue. All right. Uh, do we have any predictions, hopes, concerns before we wrap up? Uh, my only prediction was Tyler's a spy or a baddie. Yeah, that cool. was the yeah, which is basically the yeah. only one I've got as well. I've got a question. What do we think was going on with um, Stamets in the mirror? And oh well, I think that was. I think what's going on there is he's sort of starting to. Um, Perceive Split? other oh. dimensions oh, okay. and like when he sees himself, really yeah, yeah. When he sees like that, that version of him that doesn't move. It's not that there's, there's something there. It's that it's right. like a perception that there is another ver- like the two realities are close together, and he can see them. Right. I'm actually wondering whether the discovery has actually shifted into another dimension, mm-hmm. whether it's possibly even jumped into the Kelvin dimension or something like that. Yeah, um, it shifted over right. into some other. There is. A thing called the Mirror Universe That's in Star Trek. And so, I don't know if it had anything to do with I that. I think there is a rumor I understand there will be at least one Mirror Universe episode in right. this season coming up. Mm-hmm. So, it would not It would follow that this could possibly be actually in the Mirror Universe rather, yeah, rather than it sp- spilling into theirs. Um, but we'll see. Mm. We'll see. I, that's the one where they all have goatees, right? All the bad guys have goatees? Yeah. Yeah, cool. They're I all know, bad like, versions of themselves. I'm looking at a picture of um, Bagard with a... That's his name, Picard, right? Yeah, Picard. Yeah, with a goatee. Jean-Luc Picard, he, yeah, right. And he's got like like a rip-off, like armless tea, like tea kind of situation That's with like huge arms and a goatee. Amazing. So, it's pretty good. <laughs> pretty good. Uh, on that note, we will start wrapping up. If you would like to contact us, you can do so by searching for Hunting Seasons. Sorry, I, sorry. Yes? <laughs> the picture, there's also a picture of Spock with a goatee and it's yeah. hilarious. Yeah. <laughs> it's that thing in community. Yeah. Yeah, okay. Sorry. If, if you'd like to contact us, you can do so by searching for us on Facebook, searching for Hunting Seasons, that is. You can find us on Twitter at Hunting Scast. You can email us at Hunting Seasons Podcast at gmail.com. You can find myself, Broderick Gordis, on Twitter at B Gordis, B G O R D E S, Damask. You can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Maskimo, M A S K Y M O O. Thank you very much to Sean Kirkpatrick for our wonderful Hunting Seasons logo and graphics. You can find his work at SeanKirkpatrickDesigns.portfolioBox.net. Also, thank you to Jordan Calavis for our wonderful Hunting season's theme song you can find his work at soundcloud.com slash classic j rex if you are so inclined we would really appreciate some reviews some stars some um, positive feedback or even negative feedback but try and promote the show in some way for us on your streaming or downloading platform of choice um if you would like to share this uh podcast with other people that'd be even better Ooh. let them know that we exist mm-hmm. and tell them to go and listen to a particular favorite episode of, their, of yours um next week we'll be back to discuss the punisher Ooh, mm. yeah. we're all very excited about that yeah we uh, we wrestled with doing this for a while mm. 
um, because we exhausted ourselves on Marvel Netflix stuff earlier in the year. It's been a while now. I think I'm ready to yeah. watch it. I'm nervous. I don't want to be a negative Nancy two weeks in a row, but we'll see how we go. We'll, um, you know, it swings around about. Things will come around. Yeah. It'll be fine. And if uh, this is this will be the deciding factor, if we even bother with Marvel next year or not, we'll be based mm. on this. At least when we do, if we do decide to go back to Marvel from now on, it will be with big gaps in between. I mean, not one after the other. Yeah, I'm always going to watch Jessica Jones, so I'll be watching that. Cool, excellent. Um, So, we look forward to seeing you when we discuss The Punisher Season 1 next week. Thank you very much for listening. We'll catch you next time. Bye for now. Bye. Earbuds, Melbourne's podcast network. Earbudsnetwork.com Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's stamps.com. Code program.